to Nervous Rex, a Neon Genesis Evangelion podcast that finished Evangelion. This feels like I'm doing God to Memorize all of a sudden. That finished Evangelion is now talking about other related works by Hideaki Anno, but... No, we're not even doing that this time. This podcast is a mess. Yeah, this, t- th- this time we're talking about a sequel. Ratatouille. Yeah, it's it's the Ratatouille episode. It's, we're starting our Brad Bird miniseries, not in this first film. If I say it enough times, it'll be real. Yeah, we'll start. Well, we start with this best film, of course, Ratatouille. Anyways, we're talking about the sequel to an Anno project, directed by his protege and co-director of End of Evangelion, Die Buster, fifty percent die, fifty percent Buster. My name is Joe. I use any and all pronouns, and I'm joined, as always, by Chris. Yeah, that's me. I use he, him pronouns. And Chris is joined by Blake. Hi, hello. I use they, them, or he, him pronouns. Blake, do you listen to this show? I do. (laughs) Okay, see, that's when I realized I was dumb as hell a minute ago, because I realized I assumed that you did, and I was like, why would I assume that? Why? (laughs) Why? I I did a similar thing where I asked if they had gotten around to listening to the Gunbuster episode, just so they know that I already did like a 15 minute history lesson um, in that one. But Blake uh, and I met in another Discord. I say another because we're recording in the Orange Groves one. Um, Mm -hmm. But we met in a Discord because of a mutual friend, Marn, co-host of the Argonauts podcast. Oh, cool. And I was talking about Gunbuster and Diebuster, and they were just like, hey, I know a lot of things about that. And I was like, cool, we're friends now. Yeah. So. Sweet. Well, any friend of Marn's is a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you say that until I kill Marn in the blood pact <laughs> uh, death battle that we have to have at some point. You're scary. <laughs> so I guess I should probably just get it out there. Gunbuster is not my favorite anime of all time. It's definitely my favorite mecha anime. Therefore, that will color every opinion and thought I have going through this episode of the podcast it's okay i'm a g- i'm a g gundam clown so and it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's all good here <laughs> i just love that like your favorite your favorite mech anime is like this really like like smart classy thing about like the passage of time and mine's the one where they yell burning finger <laughs> okay let, let it be incredibly clear that the reason i love gunbuster has nothing to do with all the like science and time dilation and everything to do with the idea of like high school girl who's kind of a loser gets told no no just keep at it hard work and guts and you'll get through this and then starts shouting lightning kick and blows up like half a solar system yeah that is very cool yeah i don't know if we talked about how cool that is on the last episode (laughs) um but i think it's certainly gonna come up this time the the whole theme of hard work and guts and how i think die buster addresses it i don't know it's interesting yeah I, th- I think much more so than anything else we've done, I would say if you haven't checked out Die Buster and you're interested in it, please do uh, before listening to this episode, um, because I think there is so much joy in trying to figure out Die Buster while you're watching it. But but please only watch it after you've seen Gunbuster. <laughs> yes, it will be imperceptible if you have not seen uh, Gunbuster. Let's be super real. Die Buster is kind of hard to follow with knowledge of Gunbuster, without yes. no honest idea how you do it. And I think intentionally so. That's the thing that I like about it. Yeah. And uh, I think I'll just consider this the wall of, of that, that spoiler warning so we can talk about uh, initial thoughts. I think we need to get the ending out of the way. It is crazy that they reveal that this is a sequel to Unbreakable after so long. 
God. <laughs> Samuel Jackson's like, welcome back, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, you, you you pan away, they look up into the stars, and Bruce Willis comes down. Um, Lifting weights. Uh, but actually, Chris, I'll start with you. How do you how do you feel both about Die Buster watching it and I think after that maybe how it compares to your feelings on Gunbuster? Uh, okay. Um I don't know exactly how to answer this, but it's time to do that, so I'll try. Um Okay. <laughs> I think Die Buster was okay and it was very hard to compare to Gunbuster because I feel like like the 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 gives and takes place them like about even like i think some of the stuff that i liked about die buster i liked more than some of this well I, that might not be true either i don't know they're like about the same for me i i had like similar issues with both of them and also mm-hmm. found like some things that i thought were great and liked a lot in both of them as well so like yeah i mean i i could go either way i think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i will go as far as like i i certainly prefer Gunbuster. There's a lot of wonderful high points in Die in Die Buster. I think it's very fair to say that Suramaki does not have the subtlety and grace with certain things that Ano does. Not at all. Uh, so much more fan service uh, in in Die Buster that I think grates on me so much more than the than the fan service that exists in Gunbuster. But I love it a lot. I think it makes very smart lateral moves. I love the game it's playing with. Uh, making you guess when the fuck is this happening? Yeah, and the ending. The ending's so good to me. The ending's awesome. Yeah, the ending's great. I I literally thought during because like similar if you if anyone listened to the Gunbuster episode, you know that I was like not the highest on that, and I was kind of like comparing it to like homework I had to do and shit. And like towards the end of Diabuster, I was in a similar spot, and then like uh they pulled that ending. I was like, oh, you got me, fuckers. You referenced the thing uh-huh. I liked last time when you did this. Like, <laughs> all right, you got me back. That's good. Honestly and truly, I think that I like Die Buster. I don't like it nearly as much as Gun Buster. I think it's more visually interesting, but I think it's got mm-hmm. a lot of issues. Yeah, for sure. I think Die Buster as a whole is worth it for the ending. Like, even if someone said, ah, yeah, I was kind of like it's on the fence about Gun Buster, I would tell them to watch Die Buster just so they could see the ending. Well, it's also only three hours as well, so it's, like, easy to knock out. Another great quality. But, yeah, I, I super love the ending. I think after we finish these sort of initial thoughts, we can do a, a recap as we usually do, so we can specifically say the ending. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I love that. I think it's it's very interesting to rewatch because I I think I liked it less on the rewatch, mainly because the, fa- the, the fan service got to me much, much worse this time, and... Now that I knew the answers to all my questions, it was just a little less fun. Like, it was just like, I, I already know when this takes place. I'm not, like, I'm, I'm getting more details. I'm seeing stuff that they're setting up, which is cool in its own right. But I think the best, the best I've ever felt on Die Buster is immediately when it ended, the first time. Uh, yeah. Because suddenly it recolors everything you've watched before it, and that's a great high to be on. Uh, this is probably the loudest I've ever screamed at my TV when I finished something the first time. <laughs> Mainly because I couldn't scream in a theater when I saw Porch Devil Lady on Fire, which I would have if I if I did. I think I think that's all my like my rewatch versus initial thoughts. I first watched it earlier this year while we were finishing up Evangelion. I was like, I need to get ahead on my my feelings on these things. Mm-hmm. I think also I think another thing worth mentioning um, on top of just the lateral moves is like part of that is. 
I, I love, yeah, I love the visual design it takes with like how all the robots look vastly different. Yeah, it it's got a very like uh, Gona guy Mazinger army kind of feel to it with the Buster machines where they're all very weird and you can see like the points where they're derivatives of the original Gunbuster, but they're not and they're really weird. Mm-hmm. But it's cool. I like the I like the twins mech that you have two mechs and they combine to the head of a mech that does I think one thing. Yeah, is gone forever. There's a lot of things like that that do one thing and are gone forever, and I think more to its detriment than the than to yeah. its strengths. That Buster's got a big cast that it does not need. Yeah, yeah, it's I think yeah every almost every character gets their big moment to be relevant, but then there's a lot of time where they're not which I think mm-hmm. is a, an issue. Um, especially, like, I love Tycho. I love episode three. She is not a character after episode three. Episode no. <laughs> It's like, all right, your arc is done. You don't episode matter. Episode three anymore. is my favorite part of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Episode three, com- like, completely owns. Like, uh, I think rewatching it, I-, I had that homework feeling with the first two episodes. I was like, I'm not trying to piece together questions. Yes, I love No-No. Yes, she's my wife. But I, it was like, I, I was mainly just like, oh, I don't like this fan service. I'm waiting for it to get good again. And then episode three, I am completely invested again. Yeah, three, three, four, the first, like, five to ten minutes of five, and then the last, like, half of five, and then six. I was just saying, they never got me back uh, up to the same height as episode three did. Like, the rest of it was kind of downhill from there for me, with, like, a big, a, a big jump up at the very end, uh, like we talked about. but. Um, yeah, to me, to me, that was like the, the peak was, was episode three. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just a great contained story that completely sets itself up and sets itself up and pays itself off like within that 30 minute chunk, which everything else is doing bigger, broader strokes. And sure. I mean, yeah, the ending is the ending pays off really, really good, but I think partly because of the emotional weight of Gunbuster proper. Yeah. Mm hmm. Uh, but yeah, I guess we can get into uh, the recap of the story of Aim for the Top 2, Die Buster. They did it again. Got to aim for the top a second time. Chris, I don't want to just put you on the spot in the middle of this episode. If you Do you think you could recap it since I did Gunbuster, or do you want to tag team it? Uh, the thing, I mean, I could do also, parts of it. I think that my recap would not be great. <laughs> <laughs> I, mine would be very, very long, much like it was last time, because I have too many things. Hmm, right if now. only there were a middle ground on this podcast, but you and me currently, if only there was like another person <laughs> that says they know a lot uh, about Die Buster. Uh, do you think, has Craig, Craig's here, has Craig? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> Blake, I don't want to put you on the spot either, but I do. do you want to? If not, I can, or we can all kind of take turns. Yeah, I can I can summarize it, or we can go round robin and just summarize the parts that we'd like. Uh, the, epi- the number of episodes is divisible by three. <laughs> That's true. I guess, I guess I can start us off. So, Die Buster opens up um, on this snowy scene uh, with this pink-haired girl that we find out her name is Nono. Uh, she's running away from home she's getting on a train she's talking about how much she wants to be a space pilot she kicks a dog she absolutely kicks a dog to get that dog to shut up and the first like that's the first thing that happens is a dog gets kicked yeah and we get this we get this neat little like entry uh monologue about like waiting for a falling star that 
I've seen I've seen Die Buster. I want to say like five or six times. It only just dawned on me that that's uh, set up immediately. Set up immediately, and also it's Lark talking. I think from like the end of the series. Huh. Yeah, I didn't notice that. Yeah, and so we get that monologue about the falling star, and then it is revealed that okay, so. Nota wants to be a space pilot. She has left home. She is working in this diner, and she's terrible. She's just the worst at her job. She has this uncanny ability to split things in half that is played up for laughs until it is later not played up for laughs. Disappears entirely. Until it comes back in a big way. But yeah, she's working at this space diner um, for space pilots in... Okay, so if you listen to the Gunbuster episode and you watched Gunbuster, you will probably remember... I don't think you guys ever named them. Um, the RX machines, the shitty robots that like the high school girls were piloting. Mm-hmm. The successors to those that I have no idea what they're called. They're these like shitty box robots. They look like they're out of uh, near automata. For, like, yeah. To me. They're just like weird squares. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a couple of space pilots come in and they're like, oh, no, no, our space pilot. How are you doing? As they're hitting on our kind of uncomfortably. There's a couple of sequences there. The important thing is, at that diner, uh, Nono meets our secondary protagonist, uh, Lark Melik Mal, Malk, who is a space pilot and is a member of the elite Topless, uh, which basically means she is a space psychic that can summon a mech whenever she wants. And it looks really cool. And it looks really cool. That's what matters. <laughs> <laughs> and... She basically goes, wow, I'm really sick of these, like, old fogey space pilots who are sexually harassing this girl with their mechs. And she lets them know by blowing a hole in the, in the roof of this space diner, and then she fucks off. And Nono goes, wait, that's a space pilot? She's topless? Wow. And chases after her on foot. Uh, meets up with her, has a gay moment of, like, you're my Onesama! To which Lark goes, what? And then they meet a space monster, because space monsters are a thing, but it's not like the space monsters we saw in Gunbuster. Uh, and the box near Automata machines are useless. And then Lark summons the mech in full, and we find out that it's Buster Machine Deke's Noof, which looks really cool. I love him. He's very good. He looks He's very like, much a robot boncho. He looks like um, Yuppie's final form in Hunter x Hunter. He's got like some similar like uh, face design. If anyone out there is uh, familiar, but yeah, I'm not. It's a popular anime, though. I'm sure some of our listeners know. I think it's so cool that they give him a flowing cape, but it's still visibly metal. Yeah, it's very fun. And as, so, Larkin Dixnu fight the space monster a little bit. Um, at one point, it crashes its leg onto a truck that um, Nono's boss has been driving. Nono goes to save her. The boss and Lark are both going, girl, you gotta get out of here. You're gonna die. Like, you can't pick this thing up. It's mm-hmm. 12 times your size at best, or like at least. Uh, and Nono goes on the speech about how, no, I've got to do this. Like, I can do this. And she manages to lift the leg, save her boss, and then gets blasted into space, which you would think, hey, wait, humans can't breathe in space. That's weird. <laughs> Just so funny. You want to know why I didn't think about that? I was extremely distracted by the fact that after they set up this whole thing of like, oh, she splits everything in half, that when she catches the leg, she didn't split it in half. I was like, what the fuck? That would have been so cool and it would have fit with what you're doing. Yeah. I didn't even catch that hint. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's it's weird that it's not more of an OP power she has until it is the most OP power imaginable. Or, yes. ra- or rather unimaginable. What what I do want to point out that she mentions when she's trying to lift the leg is she says she has to be like Nono Riri, who mm-hmm. is this the the this great space pilot who saved the world before and she wants to be just like her. We'll talk about that more later. I really love all the all the stuff with, with her and uh her love of no no Riri. Yeah. But yeah, so she shouts that, she lifts off the thing and then she gets dragged into space. Um, mm-hmm. and it looks like she's dead and Lark is looking at her uh, looking very charred and probably dead in space, and is going, "Oh, rough." But the Nono's fine, and she climbs up onto the monster, and she rips off her shirt, kind of unnecessarily. Uh huh. <laughs> topless, like a gunbuster. Yeah, except not really. But then, kind of like gunbuster, she runs and she jumps and she shouts Inazuma kick, and somehow this small. Well, okay, she's very tall. <laughs> but somehow this somehow this robot or this girl that we've been following this whole time manages to land the kick and crack that monster's uh skull exoskeleton whatever you want to call it it's like a bug thing yeah to which lark goes pardon and they kill the monster and lark picks nona up and goes what are you why are you you're coming with me do they even on my rewatch of two, I was like, do they ever explicitly like look into the camera and say, no, no, as a robot. Cause I feel like I just picked it up in passing where they're like, ah, well, she can't be a topless cause she's a robot. And I was like, she's a robot then, huh? They do. They do. And it's something that I missed. So at the start of episode two, um, we're introduced to other members of the topless squadron that like Lark is a part of, um, who mm-hmm. also, are, like, they call it, they, they call it a fraternity. Yeah. Members of the fraternity we're talking and like shooting shit and like joking about Nono. And only this time on the rewatch did I notice that early on in that conversation, two of them, Nicola, who sucks, and Cameo, who sucks, but less, explicitly say, yeah, no, she's a robot. Kind of weird, but like there's a bunch of unregistered robots out and around Mars. This, this is taking place on and around Mars, by the way, in the first episode. Yes. And I completely missed that five different times. And see, <laughs> and hearing it and internalizing it made Nono's arc make a lot more sense. Yeah, I, I I caught it. That's the scene I caught it in. But even that felt like a very nonchalant way to do it, which is cool. But also, it's just like it just felt weirdly glossed over. Also, episode two starts with uh, a very oversexualized scene that was very grating on me <laughs> this time around. It felt like there's a lot of things in, in Diebuster that I think are like, oh, around the same time in D- Gunbuster, it did something similar. Yeah. And this is one of them where it's like, oh, yeah, you got to have them in a bath together. You got to see her naked. I'm like, one, you don't. Two, it's so much more rough um, yeah. than, than Gunbuster was, in my opinion, anyway. There's, there's something to be said about, and this is this is an issue I have with the whole of Diebuster, and it's kind of an issue I have about the rebuild, but we'll get into that relation a little later. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that happens in Diebuster that's meant to be, like, a hard invocation of stuff that happened in Gunbuster or things that were, like, started in Gunbuster. Because, like, Gunbuster's the first instance of, like, what people call gynaxing in terms of animation, which is, like, very specifically referring to, like, kind of weirdly detailed breast physics. Uh-huh. And what a great way to have your studio turned into a verb is to be associated with the sexualization of women. Yeah. 
But yeah, and there's there's moments in Die Buster where you can really feel them trying to go, hey, remember that thing that we started by doing it like two or three times in Gunbuster? Hey, anime fans, it's the mid-2000s. Will you buy our OVA episodes more if we show you more ditty? Also, I think, unfortunately, the answer to that question is yes. Yeah. I hate anime fans. And that's and like that's that's a thing that I think is very different between Ano and uh Suramaki is that Suramaki like leans into it and Ano is like, sure, yeah, whatever, I guess. Mm-hmm. If the stu- if the studio needs titties, I'll put them in it. Uh and Suramaki's like, well, I might as well make it like successful fan service. Yeah. Which I think, you know, this is his follow-up to FLCL. So <laughs> and I and I think this is much more like FLCL than it is uh you know, Evangelion, which Sir Macchiasso worked on. Yeah, so episode two. Episode two is basically entirely built around the idea of we had you an- we had you asking a bunch of questions in episode one. Let's give you some answers. What's up with Nono? Nono's a robot. What does that mean? We're not going to talk about that. What are the topless? Topless are young people, sort of vaguely adolescents. We're going to assume for, like, anime reasons that it's, like, 12 to like maybe 20 year olds yeah it's like vague teen years i do think it's like older than the the children in evangelion yeah uh around that age who are able to produce hand-waved psychic particles or something that resonate with buster machines and allow them to like do crazy nonsense they might warp reality a little bit, but we're not going to go into that. It just works. It just works. Buster machines just work now. It's far enough in the future, and you can tell that because we're now at number, what, 19? Yeah. Roll, I'm rolling through <laughs> the episodes <laughs> in front of me trying to remember what happens in episode two again. I can pick up. I'll take the baton. Um, so at this point, Nono really wants to be a topless too. She really wants to pilot a buster machine so she can be like you you've been pronouncing uh the the other lead a uh, lark. My subs had it like lulk. I don't know if I'm just saying it wrong cuz it's L A L apostrophe C. I I've been saying lark uh after the birds cuz that just mm-hmm. feels appropriate. It's one yeah. it's very clearly one of those anime names where we've put a bunch of apostrophes in this to make it feel sci-fi but we're not going to tell you how it should be pronounced in english yeah i'll yeah I'll, i'm I'm probably gonna switch between the two because i'm reading it with an l but i'm gonna try and say r for or lark lark for consistency uh <laughs> but she has to go off and do some job that i only vaguely understood why she was doing but she goes to another ship uh and no, no wants to go with her and she won't let her and she kind of tells her off like i don't want to be your oni sama leave me alone and you can never be a topless because you're a robot and then she goes off she meets this asshole whose name is hatori the captain of this ship right the space force comes yeah. in and it's like hey the topless brought that space monster to mars didn't they you weren't supposed to go on like mars land yeah and and this is he points out that he's uh used to be a topless which i think is immediately set up that you can let you can stop being one you can age out of it yeah there's a, it's on my screen now as I'm scrolling through things. There's an egregious shot of Nono's ass. Yeah. Right in the middle of that conversation that doesn't need to be there. Mm-hmm. This, as, as much as there's a lot of fan service of her, um, something I really appreciated on this rewatch that is 
something I didn't think about watching anime until I dated a cosplayer that Nono has like a different outfit in every episode. And I love that. Yeah, it's very fun. Um, but yeah, so yeah. And yeah, her one in, in this episode is particularly used for those fan service shots. But yeah, so Lark is like put in these handcuffs so she can't use her powers when she's in this ship. I don't, yeah, so I guess, yeah, they're interrogating her because there shouldn't have been the monster at Mars, but there was when she went. Is that kind of it? Yeah, yeah, and there's, we get some backstory as to, like, the topless and how they seem to appear around the same times that, like, the space monsters reappeared, there's another real rough fan service shot of Nono as she's, like, getting into Dick Snoof's cockpit trying to figure out, like, hey, can I pilot a buster machine? As Cameo and Nick are going, eh, looks like no. And then another space monster shows up for unexplained reasons. And uh, Captain Hattori goes, we don't need the topless. We don't need the topless at all. We've got brand new ships that are made to destroy space monsters. We've got this. And because this is a super robot show, those ships fail miserably. Uh, and it ends up being up to Lark and uh, Nicola, who has a very cool robot with wings. Mm-hmm. Is way cooler than that dude deserves. Yep. Uh, there's a cool shot when it's revealed, because it, like, flies by a window, and, like, it all goes black and white, except for its red eye. Oh, yeah. I wrote, I wrote that down because it looks cool. <laughs> the space monsters look cool. Yeah! Uh, but yeah, so, uh, Lark is able to get, like, her cuffs around her legs so she can, she has to, they pull off weird, like, stickers on their foreheads to activate their topless plower. I don't know if we brought that up, but she's able to do that when she gets her hands around, so she summons her buster machine, and Nono's still in it. So that that's that's kind of the the pivotal point in that fight is that she is she's trying to fight. Nono's like, hey, shouldn't we save the ship that's falling onto Mars? And mm-hmm. Luck's like, no, fuck that. I need to beat this monster. And Nono's like, no, we need to do it. And also the Buster Machine that I don't know how to pronounce, Dixnuf, is also <laughs> like, hey, I th- also they're sentient for some reason. Also wants to go and save the 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 ship. So they do, and she's not really able to until Nono like also helps like she also just kind of pushes even though she shouldn't really be able to help but she does yeah. no 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 starts displaying a weird affinity for buster machines that will come up again later yeah so it should be noted because i'm looking over my notes and i'm realizing this again nicola uh who sucks and i will keep saying that he, he sucks does. every time i say his name uh-huh. and his terrible short short onesie um <laughs> i like that outfit personally i <laughs> It'd he doesn't pull it off. Anyone else. Yeah, like like when Nono gets one, it looks great on her. It's not mm. even like super tight fitting like a plug suit. It just looks good. And I don't think it works on Nicola. He looks like an asshole. Yeah, because he, he is. He's a yeah, huge asshole. Yeah, he's a huge asshole. And you can tell he's too old to be around everyone he's around. And Nicola's, Nicola treats this like a game. And Lark appears to also be treating this like a game. The topless as a concept are fucked. And like, yep. A lot of my notes boil down to, hey, this, I really wish we had more time to talk about how messed up this system is. Yeah, I, I read a, uh, no, I, I, I'm confusing a letterboxed review with literally something that I think, Blake, you texted me, that uh, Gunbuster could go one episode less and Diebuster should have like three more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think, I think I support, even though it might just mean more fan service, but yeah, there's a, like... There's a lot of things that I want answers to that Diebuster doesn't have, whereas Gunbuster very gracefully passes over everything well. Mm-hmm. 
But also, Diebuster swinging much farther. It's trying to do so much more. Yeah. Lark has a little crush on Nicola that gets hinted at and teased a little bit. And she's like, no, but I want to go play with Nicola. And Nicola's like, hey, let's do a really cool combo attack. It'll be great. Just let that ship burn in reentry. And that's when Nona's like, we should save the Lark. You burst through their hull. You're part of the reason their ship isn't working. You sh- we should go save them. And they and save them. Yeah, and it works. Uh, and then we're introduced to Tycho, um, who comes in and goes, hey, no fair, how come I didn't get to go out and fight? Like, I want to get my score up, which is another terrible concept we'll talk about. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the top list are, like, graded against each other. And then Nono comes out in one of the fraternity uniforms, and it's like, hi, I'm going to be hanging around here. Nice to meet you. Mm-hmm. Pleasure to be I'll be an apprentice. I'm going to work hard and... Like, I'm a single flower, a girl full of dreams. I'm going to stick it out, and hopefully I'll be able to, like, be a hero of justice just like y'all. Hard work and guts. You don't have to be... That's, like, I guess the core theme of the show is you don't have to be some specially designated psychic kid. Hard work and guts are enough, which is, like, mm, I think... Is fa- it? I, 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 sh- I shouldn't say core. I think it's a thing that the show is trying to grapple with. I think... All the work is done in the last episode. Yeah. But I, I do think it's, it's something that I found very interesting as part of Nono's arc in the last episode, thinking about, like, trying to return to the world of Gunbuster after Evangelion. And all of those kids are, like, specially designated kids with their parents, souls, and robots, and that's how they're able to do it. And returning to Diebuster, like, how do we make normal kids matter again? <laughs> like, how <laughs> how do we do that? And I... I don't know if Diebuster is successful in completely unpacking that, but I think it's something it's interested in. It is. It's, it tries to go there to varying effects. Yes. I think that's the, the most fair way to assess it. But yeah, so that's episode two. Chris, Chris do, you wanna, do you want to talk about your favorite episode? Yeah. I will attempt it, but the thing is that this series has no wiki, and if you recall from five minutes ago, I took no notes. So, <laughs> <laughs> what do you, what do you remember? Uh, we can okay. I will I will do a a, gl- a nice glossy uh, skimming the surface of the episode, and we can fill in as needed. So it starts with that there's like a character named uh, Tycho who's like one of the topless, and and she and uh, No No are in like a hospital. They're supposed to like get like immunized against like space radiation poisoning and stuff which Tycho's not happy about is that how it starts or is that like later in? oh all right i'm pretty so, sure that's how it starts but i can't i couldn't be sure it's it starts with the asteroid belt where we're like get kind of get reintroduced to Tycho and, and like how she she's similar to asuka she like wants to be the best of them all but there is someone who is innately better than her yeah we we open up I'm looking over my notes, and also autoplay has put it in front of my eyes. Yeah, um, yeah, the, 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 yeah. The, the asteroid belt scene is cool. The, the the thing that you're talking about, Chris, is set up because they're both competing to pilot the new robot, and yeah. Tycho loses hers trying to show off in the asteroid belt. Also, yeah. also, no, no works like at a weird fast food thing for a weird bit, oh, and yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We, we- it feels like it feels like a space dandy joke, but it's in 2004. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of things that I watching this. I was like, I, I like I feel like Gurren Lagann and Monica Magica both owe a lot to this show. Weirdly. Yeah. Yeah. At one point, Dick Snoop pulls out a wad of cash and is like, yo, fill me up. Yeah. Which is a very, I think, Suramaki joke. Like, yeah, it, it feels like a thing that would be like, that's so absurd. But 
it works when he does mm-hmm. it. Like at FLCL especially is is really his uh his opus in that regard. Yeah, no, it's 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 weird. It made me think of Space Dandy. <laughs> yeah, the the fraternity um are out in they're like near Jupiter, I think. They're yeah. somewhere. Yeah, because the space station that the majority of the episode takes place on is like orbiting Jupiter, I think. Yeah, they're they're out by this one space station and they're trying to deal with this giant mass of space monsters uh who are out and about and Tycho is ignoring like shift rotations and goes out and tries to be cool and gets shot down real hard and gets blasted out into space and goes, "Oh man, bummer." and is recovered and then um then after the opening we pick up in the hospital uh where she's being treated for space radiation sickness, which is what coach died of in Gunbuster. Yep. And I thought that was a really cool callback. That, oh, yeah. Like, hey, I forgot about treat that. that really seriously. Yeah. Um, I also, isn't that what her, this episode deals with, like, her backstory and why she is a pessimist. Isn't that the person, did they, someone she had cared about died, I think, yes. also of space radiation. Yeah, her brother. Died. Yes, that does, that does happen. Is it, is it her brother? I didn't catch who they never yeah, explicitly they say, I don't think. I think she says once, like, my brother. Okay. I did, yeah, my, my subs, I didn't catch it. Yeah, um, Chris, Chris, I'm assuming you watched it on Amazon Prime. I did I as did, well yeah. this time. Yeah. It's also on Crunchyroll. But yeah, that's that's kind of her whole deal is like, no, no. And well, yeah. So in the hospital, Tycho's like earrings are stolen. They try and run after it. They end up on these weird, like, abandoned pipes of, of like, lower parts of the city that... I don't know the the slums like this is Final Fantasy VII or something, but the city is the city is explained offhandedly as like this is a this used to be a ship that was built to destroy space monsters and then it got decommissioned and it's super huge so it just became a city and it's which really, is cool and it's really dumb because it's really dumb because they they the characters explicitly say like oh I'm going to dump this place and I was like are you kidding me this is the coolest place ever like they're trying to sell it as like this like really like like nasty rundown place and I was like it looks so dope like I'm not buying that at all at one point they're like oh wow this is older than lunar tokyo and you as a viewer go hold up lunar tokyo <laughs> yeah i i love those offhanded things where it's just like it's it's really built like it's non-specific world building because I think they don't want to explicitly give you any amount of time to like that they show doesn't want you to piece together when it takes place until the last five minutes, mm-hmm. which I think works in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I my my opinion of like them saying this place sucks is I feel like the kids are in like a poorer, more rundown part of it. But even that part of it, like they designed it so well that I still looked at it as like, yeah, I mean, I, I get that, like for the characters, this is like not a good place. But like for me observing it, I would like to go there. So it wasn't that successful yeah. in representing it. like their their sure. design sensibilities were like they like made something that looked too cool to present the mood they were trying to go for. Yeah, it's it's more it's more Akira than Sector 7 slums. Yeah, episode, episode three is like the start of the like hammering in the point, but not explicitly saying it of like. All of the topless are spoiled brats. Mm-hmm. Until they're not. <laughs> Until they're not valuable to the, Until, the, yeah. the Space Force. Mm-hmm. And then they're just petty assholes. Yeah. Nono and Tycho meet some kids, and the kids are like, I'm sorry, we know that like it was rude of us to steal earrings, but like we need you to come here and find us. You're topless. You're not adults. You can do this. Can you make it snow? And Tycho goes, what? We're on... This is a space station orbiting Jupiter. What is snow for you? And the kids are like, 
Ed, look, up there, up there. And they look up through this uh, skylight, and they see the stars. And they're like, can you make it snow? It feels like they're frozen up there. Yeah, it's up there. It's just not coming down. Which is the saddest shit. <laughs> yeah, and it's great world building, too, because... Um, they specifically say, like, like this is like a, uh, I forget the exact word they use, but they're basically like, this is just like a, a big ass, like, city. There is no sky. And, like, we see that it's like this, like, when they look up, there's like this, like, tiny little square of sky, like, all the way up to this place where otherwise, I, I guess, you're just looking at other industrialized. So it's just, like, wild to, like, to, to see that that's the extent of, like, the, the natural world that the people here mm-hmm. can see. It's great. I think that's what makes this episode the most interesting to me. Yeah, and that's that's why I want to take back my comment. I, I don't, I don't, I want to take it back. I want to take it back and say that um, it doesn't affect the mood that they're going for. The mood still totally works. There's just a moment where, like, like I said, they're like, "This is a dub," and I was like, "I would take a vacation there." But the mood still works because you understand that, like, you know, like I said, there's a little tiny fraction of sky where these kids are living and thinking that stars might be snow, and so you still feel like the kind of like sadness of like that state of living and stuff. It still works really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, do you want to like we we kind of hijacked your recap of me? No, I was I was thankful for it. Um, but the, the, <laughs> what, the, what what else do you remember? And we'll do it again in like thirty the seconds. Easy, the easy way to sum this up is is that at that point when the kids like talk about their wish, like Tycho's immediately like that's fucking stupid, kids. That's not snow, and it can't snow here, and you're being ridiculous. Whereas Nona's kind of like, oh yeah, I see that. It's like snow. Like we should we should totally do that and make that happen. And they kind of like get into an argument about about that and like it comes out that um like we like we said taiko had like a maybe like a brother or whatever it was like that um was a friend as a kid that that died from the radiation poisoning and kind of like permanently affected her like worldview um and i believe it might not happen like right away it might be later on before action stuff happens but basically like no no like the point of this episode is no no kind of calls her out is like you're like a person who has like magical powers and can do all this like cool shit but like you've given up on the idea of like using it to like make people's lives better and and like and to make children happy like isn't that like i don't know something like worth striving for and that's kind of like the central like conflict between the two characters during this and it's all and it's all set uh under the backdrop of okay so uh taiko's original buster machine is destroyed to the point of irreparability but hey, they just sent in a brand new Buster machine, and it comes out in like a clear plastic package, like it's a toy. I love it, and it looks so good. But it's such a fucked up image when you think about what that means. Yeah, yeah. And they're talking about like I, the Buster machines wake up based on like the potential initial pilots, and so there's this ongoing struggle of like, is it going to be Tycho? Is it going to be No No? Lark's like it. Probably can't be No-No, but Nicola, who sucks, is going, well, I don't know. No-No, No-No might have some stuff going on. Mm, She's weird. She's something. We've never had a robot topless before, but hey, who knows? There's nothing in the rule book that says a robot can't be a topless. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I really love the the, the subtle works on, on this episode. It's like, on a pretty small scale, like, the the kid's plight is, like, very small and understandable. It's not like world ending stakes um and like taiko's whole deal i think is very easy to understand too like she she's just thinking about it as a score she just kind of wants to be the best on paper not about like caring about people and that's rooted in 
she couldn't save someone she loved. Uh, so what's the fucking point now? Oh, yeah. And that reminds me, there's, there's this great thing that's happening um, with around that stuff too about her her relationship to um, uh, Lalka, whatever we're gonna call her. I'm gonna make it easy and uh, remember that they call her the princess for most of this. So they do. That, that way, I don't have to I, pronounce her, the name. Her whole name is said like once. Yeah. I think every time she's either the princess or Onesama. They say it in the last episode, and I was like, Jesus Christ, that's her full name. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so there's this whole thing where where the princess will go on these like little like um, missions where she kind of like stands up in front of the world and swears that the topless will like make everything better and 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 save everybody and keep everyone safe and and happy and all that stuff. And like Taiko's like, you can't promise that. Like these like we have like abilities, but we can't. I think she says like, can we stop crime with the Buster machines? Can we end wars? Like, can we like see a loved one who's passed away? Like, we can't. So like, stop promising these things to people, which is a really uh, I I found that to be like really a really compelling section of that. Like, she like basically just like wanted this whole part of like the topless like routine to stop because she felt like it was like false and wrong and shitty of mm-hmm. of of the princess to do, and all of that was was a uh, was working really well for me. But yeah, like you were saying, like Taiko's whole deal is like is for like one episode it's like really well like like fleshed out and understood and like it feels like the most this episode is like, part of why it works the best for me is it's the most like centralized individual character based stuff and it's like you can really mm-hmm. grasp and get into it whereas a lot of the other stuff is like too big for my brain sometimes it's like too cosmic too huge scale but this i could really get into mm-hmm. yeah and i think that's what Suramaki's better at like frankly <laughs> Because I think I would also say a similar thing about FLCL of just like, yeah, it's better when it's small. And then like when it tries to do its its big gestures, it's impossible to parse. It like rejects uh, understanding when it goes at, at, at full swing, uh, pun intended. But <laughs> I like FLCL. I like Diebuster more than it. And I think the best thing Surimaki's ever done is 2.0. So <laughs> we'll get there. Um, but uh, yeah, and like... I really love like this whole thing is is like built around like who's going to pilot this new robot and I so viscerally love the way it's visually paid off um because yeah. as Nono and uh Tycho are having this debate and she's bringing this like emotional part of Tycho back up to the surface and she's like actually having to deal with why she's a cynic right now mm-hmm. behind the, they're doing this next to the robot yeah and next to the buster machine Meanwhile, outside, every other fraternity member that we met in the prior episodes, and also a bunch of, like, hardly named losers that we met this episode, are all fighting for their lives against this uh, fleet of monsters from the start of the episode. There's basically a plan of, like, okay, we need to deal with this thing because the twins, this this mysterious... Yeah, these mysterious twins. Yeah. Who love mysterious crab. We'll get there. Uh, mysterious leadership of the fraternity are like, hey, excavation of this thing on Titan is not going quite as planned. It'd be really cool if we could just deal with the Jupiter fleet of monsters now before it becomes a problem over here. And also the adults would like it because it means we don't have to shut down like the main corridor of travel for like a whole week through the solar system. Mm -hmm. So everyone else is in their buster machines like getting their asses kicked. Yeah, and they're like racing to get in it, but then it becomes this big emotional moment that I like. And so the so the payoff of that is like the robot wakes up and we kind of cut back outside and it rushes out and it starts to fight and everyone's like, "Well, who's in it though?" 
Like, mm-hmm. and, and then we cut back inside and we see like just a silhouette of Nono still floating there, like collecting yeah, the, the earrings. Rips off her earrings, which she got from her brother, uh, mm-hmm. like hand carved them before he died. Yep. Um, she tears them off and like throws them away in like a passionate, like, like uh, lashing out. And then you see Nono's the one who stuck around to like collect them. And you go, oh, okay. oh, she's. Well, that's the, here's the thing that I think, and another reason this episode works best, not just on its own contained scale, but also how it relates back to the structure of the original show, is at this point in Gunbuster, you're getting the, yes, Noriko's finally in the robot. And this show is like building up to that moment. And no, she's not supposed to get in the robot. That's not what's supposed to happen. Uh, you're happy that someone else got in the robot. Mm-hmm. I half jokingly said like, no, no's kind of like, what if a manic pixie dream girl was the main character of something? Yeah. Um, because she kind of just shows around and doesn't really have a character until like episode four or five. In- intentionally so. They don't want you to know who she is. Mm-hmm. But I like, I don't she, necessarily she, agree with that, but we can maybe talk about it later. I, I mm-hmm. think, I think it's very bare bones. She's like, yeah, I've, I, I want to be a great space pilot because no, no, Riri was, and she shows up and she kind of makes everyone better. <laughs> uh, and I think that's I especially, like that's, I feel like that's basically what Noriko's character was though. I don't think they're that different. I think they kind of do like Noriko. I'm just like, yeah, she's great. And her story is very grounded because she wants to be like her dad and she's f- coming from school. No, no has no backstory until episodes four and five. Mm-hmm. I just mean in terms of like, if, if, if the thing of like, uh, I want to be a great space pilot, like somebody else that I admire counts as a character for one of them. I think it counts as a character for the other one as well. I'm like, she's got like a personality, even if she doesn't have like a quote unquote character. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like I understood oh, yeah, who sure. she was like, it's not like she's like just there as like, you know, a, a husk to run around and advance the plot and stuff. I don't know. I felt like she was a character. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't disagree with you. I, I would say that I think I'm immediately on board with Noriko, whereas I feel like no, no is does a little bit less, uh, but I understand why it's like, I, I feel like what comes for no, no comes later in the show. Whereas Noriko, her whole setup is front loaded in the high school episode. No, no also is a little bit more grating than Noriko, but also in a way that's still kind of endearing. Like, even as I was kind of annoyed sometimes, I was still kind of like, well, that's who you are. And like, I don't know. Like, yeah. Yeah. I No, no is uh, 100% my type, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think part of the problem is also that no, 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 no is our lead character, but the episodes aren't really about her until yeah. like episode. Mm-hmm. Like three is very much about Tycho. Two is very much about Lark. Yeah. Uh, also, one thing that we missed because it's a small detail and i missed it until i saw my little note about how cool it was uh for this episode midway through before um taiko can like as they're still as taiko and nono are still like having their spats at one point they're both in the little shit bots yeah. going to like set up for the operation with the buster machines uh that all the fraternity members are doing and in a cool throwback to, I want to say, Gunbuster's second episode? Maybe the third, even? Uh, um, I it, I know what you're referencing. I think it reminds me more of episode four. You, you can continue explaining and say why. Yeah. Uh, at one point, they're doing this. Nono's uh, rushing off. And Tycho rushes her robot and starts attacking and is like, turn off your marker. We're going to duel. Mm-hmm. As Nono goes, what? No, that we've got a job to do. Why would we do that? Because Nono is so aggressively not Noriko or Amano. Yeah. And so Nico kind of just goes, ah, okay, fine. And then just sort of like walks off in a huff when they get back inside, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, it's an interesting mirror to the to the part of that, that young Freud played early on in 
in Gunbuster that she's like trying to pick these fights uh, because she's insecure and wants to be the best. Uh, it, I, and like the thing that I is interesting that it kind of does both of those young Freud moments in one swing because Gunbuster, there is an extended fight in episode two with young Freud uh, in Amano. And later she tries to pick young Freud tries to pick a fight with Noriko and Noriko just immediately breaks down and it doesn't happen. Yeah. This reminded me more of the second one. Mm-hmm. But it is it is kind of a little bit of like both plot beats and like kind of one fell swoop and like poetry. It, it works rhymes. completely for for Tycho and her arc, but also it kind of reminds you of the first show, which mm-hmm. is kind of I mean that's how I would describe Divester in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Tycho saves the day and her nice big robot. She makes an ice beam that is apparently too cold to be understood by modern science, and <laughs> it sends her back through time to say goodbye to her dying oh, yeah. brother in a, like a weird interstellar that. moment yeah starting starting the like laying the groundwork for the idea that like huh maybe these super powered super robots with like pseudo black hole engines maybe that's gonna get weird yeah and it, maybe that'll get and it's inter- We're gonna go and, it, and it's interesting because diebuster really doesn't play with time dilation at all like it, it doesn't it it never pulls that. It it deals with, I think, similar themes that Gunbuster is using time dilation for, but it never really uses it as a plot point. The time the understanding of time in Diebuster's story is, I think, very simple. Yeah, I, I thought about that uh when I was watching it too, because on the one hand I was like, once that happened in this episode, I was like, Oh, okay, maybe they're gonna play with this more. And then as it went down, I was like I was like, Oh, like, it's kinda weird to do a sequel to Gunbuster that doesn't really have to do with like time. But then again, I was like they already said pretty much everything that can be said about that. Pre- like, I don't think that you could like do it justice to like do that again. You know what I mean? So it makes sense that they don't go for the same kind of ideas. It is only for the best that they left the time related stuff at that with yeah, Tycho. I agree. And never really touch it again because this show would have been the worst thing on the planet if like episode four, episode five, they used a new Buster Machines degenerate uh generously reactor to go back in time and like talk to noriko and amano on the way home because they probably would have done that i think if they if they i, th- I think it's a possibility and i i like dare i say die buster's restraint because yeah. it's not really um restrained at all it's just in in that regard they don't play with 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 the time dilation or, or like i i think the way that the topless age out of their being relevant is a similar take on the theme that Anno is doing with the time dilation stuff in um in Gunbuster. I think it's 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 not what I pull out of Gunbuster, but I do think it is again like a lateral move. Mm-hmm. And I and like for a lot of things, obviously the mystery, I don't know, Chris, we haven't I haven't directly asked you how you engaged with like when this takes place or if you were asking those questions, but for me, I think that mystery was a big part of it and I love that it's taking this lateral move and telling what is essentially a whole new story that is very rooted in the original rather than like, all right, so Noriko and Amano landed and now they're going to do another big adventure and it's going to be bigger than before. Like I would yeah. have hated that. Mm-hmm. That would have, that would have had no room to go anywhere. Yeah. So it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because that was something that was tried kind of sort of immediately after this, I'm going to reference it now because it's really not important in the grand scheme of things, and it just came up here, there is actually a interquel manga mm. that takes place between 
between Gunbuster and Diebuster, uh, called Aim for the Top, The Next Generation. <laughs> fucking Snake is there. Fucking Spinner. It, yeah, it, is a, it is a direct sequel to Gunbuster. Um, it features um, Kimiko, or, no, not Kimiko. Um, so if you watched Gunbuster, you'll probably remember Noriko's friend from school, Kimiko, who, like, shows up in the first episode and then shows up again in the back half. And has a kid, yeah. It's Kimiko's daughter who has grown up and has, like, joined, I guess, the next top squadron. She lived a pretty long time if she was 18 before they drifted in space for a million years. I, no, no, it's not a... Does it take place, like, during so that jump still? It, it takes place... It takes place after the fleet that left oh. um, the bus get back. Okay. And it deals with, like, okay, so what's going on? Uh, there's still some remnants. We should probably deal with that. And it shows you Buster Machines 4, 5, and 6. Okay. Which, in something that I absolutely love, they all combine to form the great gun buster. <laughs> Voltron, baby! And I think it was supposed to touch on, like, hey, machine number 7, but then it got cancelled after, like, two volumes. Oh. Because no well, it. I mean... Was anyone involved in Gunbuster or Diebuster involved with the manga, or was it just a cash-in? Okay. I'm pretty sure it was just a I mean, I, I like this world a lot. I am interested in those stories, but I don't think they're, they're needed. I think these two shows kind of do all of that I need. Yeah. Every time, every time I see some news about, like, oh, and aim for the top three, I think stop. Well, I mean, I mean fucking Gynex is always going to have things that they've confirmed and never going to make. They're never going to make Euro in blue or whatever. They're going to keep saying it. They were saying it in the 90s. They're never going to do it. They have no money. Otto <laughs> sued them and took all their money. And God bless him for it. Yes, thank you. Man, we're never getting any in stocking season two. But that's no, beside the point. that's also for the best. I'll, we'll talk about Gynex. Um, <laughs> after, we'll talk about the rest of Gynex at the end of this episode. Because there's, I do have a little bit about... Um, uh, to bridge this and and 1.0, mm -hmm. but anyways, we've talked about half the show. <laughs> oh yeah, episode four. Episode four, they get to Titan. Um, mm -hmm. ties us into the MCU, which is cool. I kept thinking that too the whole time. <laughs> I was I was like, Titan, ain't that the Thanos planet? Uh huh. <laughs> I it made yeah. me it made me wonder if it was a reference to the comics or if it was a re like if they're both referencing something else older. Who knows? I didn't look into it. Me neither. Oh, I thought. I at that point I was just like okay yeah we're on that particular like moon sure yeah but yeah they're on a planet they're on a planet called Titan and they're trying to excavate uh an old buster machine which at this point we're like cool old buster machines like is this gonna tell us more about this point in time because at this point we've been we've been told that like okay so Dick's Noof is old as shit uh -huh. and like has had like forty generations of pilots. These things can just sort of fall and, like, be left alone, and we can pick them back up, and it's fine. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll go ahead and say this this now about the time, uh, the time jumping stuff, just because at the rate we're going through this, I think a lot of our analysis is coming out in the recap. Um, it's one of those episodes. But <laughs> what I really love about the No No Riri thing is that because that's not a name we know, and it's described as one person, there's no way you jump to the conclusion of they're talking about Gunbuster 1. Yeah. I absolutely made that assumption, like, immediately. So, oh. how, how, what made you connect those dots? Like, for me, I, I didn't piece it together until we, we see No-No wake up in, like, episode five. 
because she was talking about, oh, this person was a great pilot, and just look at the syllables and the thing. No, no, Riri is like, okay, Noriko. Like, I could see how like that could get distorted through time and by this like strange robot girl. I like knew it instantly. It didn't ruin anything that I knew it instantly, but I knew it pretty pretty immediately. Chris, I'm so I'm so glad you're so much smarter than I am. Yeah, I I I, I it, it it completely washed over me, and I was like, okay, yeah, I don't know who No No Riri is, and it also like it's only one person is is the thing because i was like well there there's no way they would talk about only noriko yeah i thought that is absolutely what's happening although i will say that i i shouldn't say that i knew it immediately because i i couldn't remember the main character's name but i was like i'm pretty sure it's something like that and so i'm pretty sure she's mm-hmm. talking about her and then lo and the, behold. the ending of gunbuster for me is so intrinsically about two people that i completely was like this has to be someone else that makes sense yeah i could see how that pro- would the, happen the problem is Everyone forgets about Amano. <laughs> yeah, she's great. I think she's a very interesting foil in the first show. I already talked about it a bunch. Also, I love that later uh, the paper cranes come back up in this show. Uh, but anyways, Titan, Titan AE. We meet the twins and the twins are very creepy. And Nicola, who this whole time has been like alluding to this concern over like, oh man, my expiration date might be coming up pretty soon. What does that mean? I don't want that. It means you're milk. <laughs> <laughs> Topless or milk? Yeah, uh, Evangelion had soup. This show has milk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Tycho goes by and he meets the twins who are very creepy and are very clearly older than they should be if they're still topless. And they're like, oh, oh, Tycho, you, you can't tell what the smell is. Don't you like Titan crab? Mm-hmm. And they feed him a ominous and smelly lump of meat that he's very grossed out by. Yeah, they they're alluding that the the food is what keeps them having their youthful power as they age. Yeah. And then by the end of the episode we know what they're actually eating. Yeah. And it is basically an entire episode built around this idea of like, okay, we got to find this ancient buster machine, this buster machine that belonged to an alien. Uh it this is going to be the thing that saves mankind. We'll wipe out all the space monsters. It's going to be super cool. Humanity's goal is just to keep getting bigger robots. Yes. <laughs> and Nono also is like, I really need to pilot a robot or else I'm useless. Uh, yeah, so I- she's like, yeah, she wants to be like, like Nono Riri. She wants to be like Nono Riri, but she also wants to be able to like be on Lark's level. Yeah. Be able to be like one of her equals and not just like a hanger on in her eyes, which eventually we, this episode we realized that like Lark doesn't look at her that way. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the point of contention that will move us through the back half. Yeah. But they're on. Uh, the twins are like, yeah, we're going to do this. It's going to be super cool. Uh, Nono goes to the excavation site, which she's not supposed to go to. It's like a top secret, like high security place. And she gets caught. And the twins basically look at her and they go, this sort of thing would be grounds for expulsion or worse. But like, we get it. We know that you just really want to get a buster machine. We understand. We don't normally wouldn't talk about this, but we're pretty sure there's this one machine out on the surface of Pluto. It's very far out. You're going to have to take a couple week trip, but I bet you, Nono, you could be the one to wake it up. You're, you're special. You're going to be the one. And so Nono goes off to deal with that. And the whole time, um, Tycho and Lark and Nono and the rest are going, hey, our buster machines seem really on edge ever since we got to titan something feels wrong here 
as the twins and uh, Nicola are like, nah, nah, it's fine, whatever, shut up. And so Nono goes off to Pluto, and she's joined by Cameo, who made a, a side comment about how the twins are probably older than they say, and got assigned to, like, shit duty out in the boonies. Mm-hmm. So Cameo picks up Nono, and they're off on their way to Pluto to find um, this old, uh, they thought it was shot down buster machine, and the twins start start digging into the thing on Titan. And they go, all right, cool, yeah, it's a buster machine. Except no, this isn't a buster machine. This is an ancient topless, an immortal topless. And Nicola realizes, oh, I ate, what did I eat? Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Once the twins cut into this mysterious thing, every space monster in the solar, or a ton of space monsters across the solar system start rushing towards Titan. Titan starts seeming very dire, uh, and more of those monsters start rushing towards Pluto, where Nono and Cameo are. And Cameo, who is the oldest member of the fraternity by far that we know of, he's explicitly noted as, like, he used to be topless and expired, but is still around acting as, like, support. Yeah, he does, like, repairs and stuff. Yeah. Cameo has, like, a brief breakdown when they get closer to um, the Buster Machine on Pluto, going, like, I never confirmed whether or not I actually expired. I resigned beforehand. This will be my moment. I can still do this. I can still be useful. Because he's been clinging on to, like, the idea that, like, maybe if I can be topless again, I can be useful. Mm-hmm. And, like, society will value me again. Which, sad, but understandable. Yeah. He and Nono get to the Buster Machine, and it is scrap. It is, like, a metal spine and, like, some arm bones. And that's it. And Cameo has a breakdown. And at the same time, it's revealed on Titan that, hey, so it wasn't a buster machine. It wasn't a topless. Uh, really, it was one of the space monsters from Gunbuster. Mm-hmm. To which Lark goes, wait, if that's a real space monster, what the hell have we been fighting all this time? Which is a great moment. <laughs> I yeah. fucking love it. It's so good. Uh, back on Pluto... Nono stares at this like small army of space mon of fake space monsters mm-hmm. down and then starts to hum and then starts to glow and her hair turns like a fiery orange and she has a magical girl transformation and then disappears and in a very great looking very fun over the top moment appears on Titan to save the day after like half of the fraternity pilots that we know or that we've met, have been slaughtered. Just, like, no question. They're done. The, immediately after the real space monster wakes up, the twins get iced real quick, really brutally. Yeah. There's, I think, my favorite shot of that that feels very... It, it, I mean, retroactively, it reminded me of a thing about Monica that comes, you know, six, mm-hmm. six years later. It also feels very Evangelion. But uh, the, there's a shot where it's, like, completely black silhouette and just, like, a million spears go through one uh-huh. of the buster machines yep. but the way it like separates them out is so brutal yeah i love that that's that's gorgeous the all, all of this looks great there's a lot of shots where we like we see the destroyed buster machines and like organs are hanging out of them which is like it doesn't really linger on it or try and talk about what the robots are it's just like just kind of sprinkles it on top of what's already rough and it, it reminds like, oh yeah, the original Gunbuster had, like, guts in it. That was weird. But we only ever saw them for, like, a second. Yeah. 
Yeah, I yeah. So I love this sequence. I love that she's uh, no no when she warps back to Titan. Also, yeah, I feel like this show. She's like, yeah, warp technology. Forget time dilation. It's fine. Uh, but she she warps back and she has you know the mirroring uh, Noriko's moment in the Gunbuster. She rises up with her arms folded, mm-hmm. and we get this moment. It's like, wait, she is the Buster Machine, and she just does a bunch of very cool shit for like the rest of the episode. <laughs> and she she does a Buster Beam that is on par with the original Gunbusters, as opposed to the much weaker ones we've been seeing this whole time. And she cuts Titan in half. Mm-hmm. Sorry, one second. I think someone is entering my apartment. We are the hosts of Got It Memorized, what used to be a Kingdom Hearts recap podcast. We did the impossible and finished recapping all of Kingdom Hearts. The whole thing! Now, fueled by our own hubris, we've endeavored to recap other things. We've covered The World Ends With You, and now we've moved on to Final Fantasy X. After that, we'll do more tasks that humanity previously thought impossible, like creating cold fusion, accessing the Akashic Records, and folding a piece of notebook paper in half more than seven times. Find Gotta Memorized on the Orange Groves Podcast Network, on your favorite podcast app, or do what we did, and approach a pulsing dark monolith in the middle of your city, promising otherworldly powers in exchange for audio catalogs of JRPG franchises by whispering the secret words of power, Got it memorized. Blitzball! I think it's very funny that I said I didn't want to do the recap myself because it would take too long. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah so no 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 appears and she's buster machine number seven and she does a buster beam and cuts the space mo- the real space monster in half and also titan gets cut in half uh and it turns out that all of the space monsters we'd seen um before this are actually the buster legion which are unmanned buster machines uh that are made to work with no no basically mm-hmm. basically no no shows up and like goes to Lark and is like, it's okay, I got you. As Lark is dissociating wildly and realizing uh-huh. that oh, this this like play war that we've all been doing, this is this is real now. This is real now and all of my friends are dead, except Tycho and Nicola. Yeah. Oh. I I I think uh Nono's moments in these episodes are good because I feel like maybe it's a stretch. My reading of it is like, alright, cool, she doesn't need to pilot a big robot to be important she's fine on her own obviously she is a robot so it's like whatever but um that's kind of just my interpretation of how it connects to her arc and that theme especially considering uh cameo earlier is like if i can't pilot a buster machine i'm fucking useless and then i was like well that's not true there's a fun speech about how like the being topless and having a buster machine doesn't matter as much as like the internal drive inside you matters. Yeah. She phrases it in her weird no-no way as saying that, like, no, no, it's fine. I know that, like, even someone great like Nono Riri didn't need the Buster Machine because she had a Buster Machine inside of her. Mm-hmm. But you get the idea. And, like, yeah. it's sweet. It's the opposite of a Brad Bird movie in which he talks about how society doesn't let cool people be cool. <laughs> and she's like, everyone's cool. Fuck the people who are cool. <laughs> Which is a very uh, reductive analysis of Brad Bird's film. Because I think he's in, in a greater conversation with that. But uh, anyways, mm-hmm. this isn't a Brad Bird podcast. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Brad Bird is the word coming 2021. Anyways, episode five, I think, pretty much immediately talks a bit about those uh, 
the Buster Legion because it's like, yeah, we made those and they very quickly realized that topless and, and humanity was the threat that we needed to uh, get rid of, which feels very Terminator 2. They mentioned that um, they set themselves up as like a wall around the solar system um, to keep like the remnants of the space monsters out. And they gradually evolved to like better suit that purpose and ended up taking on forms similar to the space monsters, which is where the confusion came up. Yeah. After like a couple thousand years. And it's not explained nearly as well as anything in Gunbuster. No, it is not. And they also keep calling them space monsters. So then you just have two things called space monsters. And I Well, well, the real space monsters start getting called gravitational welds. That's also confusing! <laughs> Yeah, the real space like, monster is the friends we made along the way. Yeah, I was massively checked out during all this. I don't know what the fuck is happening. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's not as graceful. Um, episode five actually starts with uh, when No No is like excavated from a rock five years before the show starts, mm-hmm. and she's just like repeating No No Re Re and then Co. And it's like, oh, okay, I get it now. Noriko, got it. Yeah, don't know how I missed that. Uh-huh. Wish I was as astute as Chris. Yeah. Chris got that immediately and then checked out for any for the rest of it. <laughs> He's like, I got what I came for. It's like, oh, okay, I understand how it's a sequel now. What do you mm. wait? Space monsters? Wait, which ones are the monsters? Uh, but yeah, so are the monsters is the question that all the humans come up with of like, hmm, maybe maybe the topless are the problem actually. Yeah, let's put weird fucking head cages on them. And instead of just taking the stickers off, yeah, because well, it feels like removing the sticker well, once, yeah, gets you one pop. When you, when, yeah, when you pull the sticker off, it, it makes it's their, it like limits their power. It's uh, fuck. There's a character in Bleach with an eye patch that does that. I haven't watched that. I don't care about Bleach. You'd be describing like seven Bleach characters. I don't care Bleach. about Bleach. I just remember that like there is a character with an eye patch who is like it contains my soul power or something. But I'm not surprised that they would do that six more times after I stopped reading it. Mm-hmm. Uh, fucking tight. What is it? T- tight Kubo? Is that he, Kubo? He, uh, he got to a point where all of his characters looked the same. So I, I believe it ah. that he would redo power things. It's like poetry. It rhymes. Anyways, this episode is very explainy, very talky. Uh, and as a result, has a lot of like unnecessary nonsense in it yeah and i think it makes the the good action in it and emotional moments a little less effective yeah um Uh, and they're like oh the black hole excelio is a planet but also a black hole (laughs) yeah and it's supposed to be like oh right excelio excelion it's like that first black hole that yeah First detonation from Gunbuster. Yeah, I recognize that. Yeah, it's like the yeah, it's like the first show. But that's also like their nest of the, of these space monsters. It's where all the 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 Legion is. And then the, the, I'm trying to like get through this kind of quickly. There's one thing that I think is relevant. There's a scene where Nono at, at this point the space fleet is like using her because she's like, all right, cool. This is the most powerful person we have now. We'll just uh have her do everything um yeah but uh as equipment this entire episode yeah she's never called by her name she's called buster unit seven yeah um and but there's a moment where she's like sitting in a room watching like a magical wallpaper of of, of a bird and she tells the story about the last bird on mars that like by the time it was born it was the only one left 
and uh, it never flew until one day it did, and it was just never seen again. And mm-hmm. she's talking tell- talking about this to Lark, and Lark's like, "Well, it abandoned all the people." Rather, and and well, it's it's worth noting what happens. Okay, so I guess I'm just gonna rip the bandaid off. Yeah, episode five is my least favorite episode of Die Buster because episode five has a grossly unnecessary assault scene. Yes, where basically. Nicola has finally like hit his expiration and is falling apart like mentally or whatever because he can't be a topless anymore and also after the stuff on Titan no one trusts topless anymore and they're not the heroes that they were that they were like a month prior yeah and at one point he like shows up in Nono's room and is like hey and like tries to assault Nono because well I can't pilot a buster machine myself, but like you're close enough, right? Yeah, it's it's very gross. I don't think it's utilized for even what they're trying to utilize it for. Yeah, uh, be- because there are no consequences for him, and I don't think they're saying anything about the fact that there are no consequences for him, which they could and don't. They really could, and the worst thing about it is that like, yeah, he is caught and stopped relatively quickly, mm-hmm. but then shows up and like sees it. And instead of going, I mean, she makes a point to be like, okay, Nicholas, I knew that you were always a scumbag, but Jesus Christ. But instead of that being the core of her issue, it is instead, I had a crush on you. Why won't you even look at me? And then she's mm-hmm. pissy to know for the rest of the episode for what appears to be because, like, Nicola assaulted Nono. Mm-hmm. And there's... I can see with this episode that the intention that they are going for is that, like, Lark is still shaken up after, like, hearing all of her comrades, like, get slaughtered viciously on, like, the comm channel on Titan as she couldn't do anything, and then Nono had to, like, come by and save her, and she feels, and, like, Lark feels useless, and is not helped by the fact that she's seeing everyone around her, who she used to look up to, falling apart. But the way it happens on the screen is a lot shittier. Yeah, it's yeah, it completely lacks uh, the nuance to utilize any of those plot beats for the themes they're trying to do. Or, or, or it just it just completely doesn't work and feels gross and unnecessary in practice. Yeah. And then then a little later, no, no, um, tells her story about like the last bird on Mars and Lark sort of leaves and is pissy mm-hmm. and is present on this one capital ship as they're going to, like, uh, the real space monster nest around Jupiter 2. Mm-hmm. I-, I just want to say about the bird story, I think what is important, or at least that I thought was important to glean from it, is that when Nono tells it, Lark, obviously now colored by everything we just talked about, uh, she 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 reads that story as a story of the bird wrongfully abandoning Mars in the story, which I think is all like that. That's uh, just gonna lead into how this episode ends and yeah. their interactions in the last episode. Mm-hmm. But yeah, then space fight happen. Yeah, they go off to basically go. Okay, no, no, we're gonna. We're going to throw you at the big gravity well around Jupiter 2. If you could just deal with that problem real quick, that'd be dope. Fantastic. Maybe we can spread out past the solar system again. That'd be pretty cool. And they get there, and there is a massive 
Gunbuster-era space monster, like, bigger than Earth, uh, that, like, pops out mm-hmm. from a black hole, and it's a big problem, and Nono can't do anything, really. In the devastation, like, Nono sees that the ship that Lark is on has basically been, like, blown in half. Uh, Nono gets to Lark, um, gets the head cage off of her, and it's like, Onesama, let's fly. Uh, and Lark pulls off her topless sticker and summons Dick's Noof, which has been messed up pretty bad. It's, like, lost an arm. Yep. In, like, one really, really big uh, exotic maneuver is what the topless called her special moves. Lark basically says, I'm gonna throw Jupiter 2 at this thing, and that'll kill it. To which everyone goes, what? And then Lark does it, and it's very cool as she psychically grabs the planet and smashes it into the monster. Y'all don't need this planet, right? No one's using this. I can just... Eh, it's Jupiter 2. It's like a shittier Jupiter than the one we put in the bomb. Yeah, it's not even ascending. If you're gonna have a Jupiter, you should probably ascend. Yeah. Chris, did you ever see Jupiter ascending yet? Uh, not yet. I just remember we talked about it, like, a year ago. <laughs> it feels like a year ago. Um, Chris, do you have any thoughts on episode 5 so far that we've talked about? Um, I'll be real. Like I said, I was pretty, like, there was very little there for me at that point. Like, 4, 5, and 6 all blend together for me, with the exception of the very ending. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair for what they're doing and how they're doing it. I like what Suramaki's going for. I'll say that. I like a lot of yeah. I like a lot of Diebuster on paper better than in practice, and I still like Diebuster a good deal. I think like literally on paper, like I'm reading the wiki as y'all are describing this, and it's like oh, like having seen it and reading this, like oh yeah, this is interesting. But like watching it, I was like I like I said, I just like my eyes glazed over, and there was just like too much. Like mm-hmm. it, everything was so big. It's like there's reveals about what the thing is, and then there's like gigantic robots fighting gigantic aliens in front of gigantic planets and monsters and ships, and I'm just like I just can't keep up. Like I felt like my yeah, parents yeah. when I used to watch the Matrix, and like, this is too much for me. I was like, how? But like now I'm like, I get it. Like, <laughs> I, I, just, like... <laughs> I uh, yeah, it's interesting because like Die Buster absolutely works for me. I'm critical of it. I still give it like four out of five. Uh, but the, the the thing is like, as much as I love how Suramaki is evolving the visuals and aesthetics of it, and like even how he integrates the original monster design into this new version of the story that he set up I, I do like agree with you that it's like it's very easy to glaze over because it is just going bigger and bigger in a way that like you know sh- uh, in a couple years Gurren Logan comes out the whole premise of that yep. show is what if we just went bigger for 26 episodes but like I, I think that show is like kind of refined that of like how do we keep that satisfying um, because yeah. you get you get episodes that just like all right, in this one, everything kind of ceases to be, and there's just, like, a visual gravity. And I'm like, okay! And I don't think the show ever nails that. Um, as much as I like stuff in the last episode, that's fucking weird. Yeah. Diebuster Bu- Die is so very clearly the bridge between, like, Ava and FLCL as, like, Ava's immediate follow-up, mm-hmm. and Gurren Lagann and further era, Gainax yeah. and Trick so on mm-hmm. yeah i i think suramaki is very clearly like at odds or not maybe not at odds but like i think creatively trying to go up against the shadow of being hideyaki Yano's protege and i mm-hmm. i get it i think it shows in his work but i still think he works best with ano directly 
which is yeah. like I don't know. It kind of makes me feel bad to say. Like maybe maybe when the rebuild movies finally end, Suramaki will make something that I think is his opus above you know everything he's touched with Evangelion. But I don't know. I don't know how old the mm-hmm. man is. Uh, Anno just turned like sixty. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so episode episode five is basically Lark throws the planet, and then Nono basically says, "Okay, hey, there's some stuff I gotta do. Uh, you've got this, right?" Um, as like the real space monster is like warping out and then no no basically disappears the human council is like okay so we've lost buster machine number seven we don't have control over the space monster defense system that we had like just gotten a wrangle on again i guess we gotta fight that big real space monster ourselves that sucks hey lark do you want to be our savior and lark's like eh? and then we get a shot at the end of um all of this like all of the fake space monsters that Nono can control joining up in one place to build something. Yeah, there's like a, I mean, you can tell it's a big face. Um, mm. I love that visual. A lot of how he uses the big face feels very post end of Eva in a way that I like. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I don't think it's very well executed on screen, but I really like how the end of this episode and through uh, the resolution of six is just like, no, no, seeing Lauk throwing planets at this thing, then it's not going to work. And it's like, all right, well, that's a bad idea. I'm going to fuck off and find a real solution. But she doesn't tell anybody. And it's not really conveyed even when she shows up again. It just kind of, I'm like, that's me reading into it, being like, that's got to be what they're going for. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the, it's kind of a cliffhanger in five where she fucks off. The robots are building into something. And then six starts, I think, six months later. Yeah, uh, and, like, Lark's on the moon, and she looks really, like, bored and, like, kind of tired, and she's looking out at the Earth, and it's like, basic, basically the plan in Six is, okay, we got nothing, um, we have to prioritize humanity, we've got the biggest buster machine we made that wasn't the black hole bomb, we're gonna put it around the Earth? And we're just going to slam the Earth into that real space monster, and it's going to kill it. And Lark's going to be the one to pilot this thing, because Lark's the mover of planets, and, like, she's going to be our savior. It's going to be great. Uh, We're evacuating everyone from the Earth. It sucks that we got to blow up the Earth to do this, but, like, progress. Surely it'll work this time. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, that's really, like, all of it, I think, boils down to that, where they're just like, well, we have to throw something bigger at it. Mm Mm-hmm. It's never gone wrong before. I mean, it worked pretty well the first time for about 11,000 years. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Seemingly, all of this is just like, it didn't actually fix the problem. And I just think, I feel like, again, like it's not in the text, but I feel like it's not in the text that Nono reactivates and actually remembers things. It, but mm-hmm. I think she does. And part of me reading her like fucking off and, and building a bigger robot for six months is is me thinking... Oh, so does she like understand what happened with with Noriko and is like, you know, the big explosion didn't work the first time we need something new. But then in the end, she just kicks it. So I don't know. Like, yeah, it's a little incohesive. I like I like watching it so much that I don't really care. But yeah, it I don't know. It's, it's just it doesn't fully connect the way that I think they intended to. Yeah. Epi- episode six at its core is a lot of setup. Of, like, Lark being upset that Nono left 
uh, everyone in the hum uh, human government going like, okay, so uh, 48 hours ago, the giant, like, body-sized or body-looking thing that number seven seemed to have been building has disappeared. We don't know where it went. We're going to keep on with the plan. We're going to sacrifice the Earth. Lark is, like, trying to put on a brave face, but is cracking. And then everything goes into motion. Yeah, we, we get a flashback where Lark goes to visit the person that uh, Nona was staying with, which is weird because we know that the, it's not, like, an important person to her other than they saved her. I, I think that's mm -hmm. the same dude, right, that saves her? Yeah. Okay. I, I, even that's, like, I'm, I think so. I think that's what they're going for, but... Um... We, get some, we get some flashbacks of, like, Lark and Nono interacting. Mm -hmm. Like, show, like, no, no, they were friends, and, like, they had time to develop friendship. Yeah, I actually... I, I, I don't remember which episode it's in, because it was, it was not this one. But the scene of them in, in Lark's apartment, where they're watching TV, I realized this watch that the music playing is a music box version of the Gunbuster opening. And mm -hmm. I was like, that rules. I like that. <laughs> oh, we're speaking about music. Um, I forgot to mention this, but there's a moment in, there's a moment in episode four where the like Gunbuster era monster shows up where as it's coming out of the ground, you hear the start of Gunbuster March that like you hear every time a Buster machine shows up, even going back to the original Gunbuster. Yeah. And then it, it's weirdly discordant and like falls apart as you go, Oh, that's not a buster machine. That's not a at all. It's very good. I like how it plays with the, the themes of the original show. Mm -hmm. The last episode, they're trying to put the, it's going to throw the earth at the big monster. And when Lark starts a weird warp hole opens up and a, just a real big lady comes out of it. Uh, I love it. I love the, all of the bust. All, all, so all of those, Legion machines combined to make one giant buster that Nono is piloting. That is our titular die buster. Yeah, that is the die buster. Uh, she stops the Earth, even though Lark tries to stop her and has all of her emotional catharsis while she does it, um, including the fact that she loses her topless ability at that possible, worst possible second. Uh, yeah. But again, like that's them trying to be like, all right, so now she's going to actually save the day when she's a normal, not psychic power girl. Mm -hmm. And they set up in this episode that Dick Snoof has a, an original cockpit in its head that is yeah. that is blocked off by a weird spike in its head. Dick Snoof has like a horn from something that's been embedded in its head the entire series. And they allude to it every now and again of like, oh, man, that thing's like a couple hundred years old. We really wish that we could take that out. But if we do it even slightly wrong, we will utterly ruined Dick Snoof's AI. Uh -huh. And there's a really cool moment in 6 where Dick Snoof basically goes, no, no, Lark, I've got this. It's okay. And he tears it out of his own eye mm -hmm. to let Lark in, and she gets up there and there's a Gunbuster-era pilot uniform. And she puts it on for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> I can't really figure out why she would do that, but I, I mean, I, I don't know. I like the original Gunbuster, so the nostalgia shit lands for me. Yeah, same. Chris, how did you feel about that? Because I, I, there was a lot of things. There's a lot of things in this show that I was like, Chris is going to roll the rise. <laughs> yeah, uh, my reaction that you nailed it because my reaction was, oh, you just had to have her get naked. Like she changes clothes when she gets in the robot so that she could be naked. And I was like, all right. It's it's weird because like when she actually does the the mirroring, tearing the shirt off thing, and then uh, I, I feel like that's 
fine. Like, I think that's fine. And But like where she like takes her clothes off to change, that's a little much for me. Yeah, it it's so weird that they do they do that, like ripping the shirt off shot like three or four times across six episodes. And it's only the last time where it like feels OK and justified. Yeah, it's and, and, and it's the last episode. And it's because she's actually doing it to put like to fuck with the actual robot's chest because she puts it she she takes an engine and puts it back in which is the opposite of the the original finale but yeah uh the 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 one in the first episode is just like i don't know are are you trying to tell me that no no just innately knows that noriko did that like it's it's just it's it's like simultaneously titty fan service and did you guys like the first show that one i actually also thought might have been alternatively explained which this is not a defense i'm gonna get to this later but Uh i read that as like i mean we're supposed to get that it's a reference to what happened with noriko but um in the actual context of the story at that point i read it as nono being kind of like naive and like misunderstanding what they were talking about referring to topless yeah that's how i took that i yeah i I see that too. It th- that also, yeah, I I agree with you. This like feels a little bit more of an excuse. But they named but, it that, yeah. So they and it's they didn't weird have to. It, and it's, and it, it doesn't come up again. It like there's never a moment where she's like, "Oh, you don't mean literally topless." Like the whole fact that that's what it's called is it's it's kind of weird. I I do think it's getting at like the the emotional high point of the end of Gunbuster is when she tears her shirt off and like trying to play with that idea. I don't know if it does anything. I, though, I have a show. lot of thoughts about the topless thing, but we can we can get to that later if you want to try and get through the recap first. We're we're very close. Oh my God. Yeah, we're we're still in recap. We're yeah. We we've been doing a lot of our analysis in it, so I don't feel <laughs> extremely bad about it. Uh, but yeah, just to, to wrap it up, Diebuster is this big robot. Now she stops the Earth. Lark or Lark, uh, you know, tries to stop her, loses her powers, climbs up into the the cockpit. Because I, I guess the secondary cockpit, you have to have the topless powers for. I guess that's what it's explaining here. Um, so, yeah. she, so she goes up to the top one, puts on the old uniform, tears her shirt off. Uh, so she also tears off Duke's, 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 Duke's uh, chest plate and steals uh, an engine from one of the, the Legion robots. And she has this heart to heart with No-No where she's like, you, don't, you also don't need this big robot you are fine how you are and to so she fights so it's dick snoof's like powered up they say original form but like yeah it, the true form. they they there's an offhanded i got the scene going in front of me okay because uh, i could remember there's like the soft implication they don't say it outright that the reactor that um lark grabs was taken away a millennia ago, so it's implied that like that's the one from the Gunbuster. I guess. I, all right, fine. I don't. Yeah, I don't think about it too hard. I'm like, cool. Need an engine? Got one. Great. <laughs> uh, and it mirrors. It 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 literally mirrors because it's the opposite of uh, what happened in the first one, which I think the show is. I don't know. Kind of trying. I don't know because there's characters in the show that are like uh, at the end of five. L- Lark is so ready to sacrifice herself for saving humanity and she literally says like hey no no let's become stars together and then i was like no there's a better way to do this and she fucks off so so i do think it's like it, it, it's a little bit in conversation with the original show mostly it's just like what if we did it differently and yeah. did similar plot beats and told a slightly different story and evolved it and i don't know it's very interesting 
I, I this is literally something I texted to you earlier, Blake. But it's like I th- I think Gunbuster is really good, and I think Diebuster is so much more fascinating because I'm yeah. I'm I'm reading into why it's doing all these things, whereas Gunbuster is just like, yeah, Anno really likes, uh, you know, Gundam and space and monsters, Top Gun. and Top Gun, and and it it is telling. I don't know how much is Top Gun is Anno and how much of it was the parody script he was salvaging, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, and then he gets into these ideas of like uh, how trauma ages you and uh, space travel, and then you know, so many years later. Suramaki's like, all right, yeah, I'm gonna absorb all that and just like make a weird fucking pastiche with it. Yeah, I feel like the show oh. is like about Gunbuster half the time as it's not. Mm-hmm. After Lark gets in Dick Snoop's real cockpit and puts on the thing and grabs the engine, um, she and Nono have like a little like back and forth shouting, and then Nono flies out of the Die Buster as it's like falling apart, and they join up and they do one big double Inazuma kick and they're spinning around and it's real cool and they kick the super space monster really hard Uh and it falls into its black hole and the black hole falls apart and splits in half splits in half and then Lark and Nono meet in the interstellar void kind of like Tycho was in when she saw her brother. Yeah, the, the people then, in the space fleet are like, oh, they managed to destabilize a black hole. That's physically impossible. Who fucking knows what's going to happen now? Yeah. I love how many times things in this show happen and people are like, well, that's not literally possible to happen. Hold on. Wait a minute. Yeah. And then uh, Lark and Nona have a heart to heart in the interstellar void. And Nona basically goes, okay, I have to go, but you need to, you need to keep going. And, like, we're always going to be together because we're never going to, like, forget about each other. Wishes always come true. And Nono basically gives Lark her reactor and then says, I'm going to take this singularity that we made when we did wonky stuff with the black hole. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to get rid of this. This is just going to go away and everything will be fine. And you're going to be fine. And I love you. See you later. Is that what you think she says when it cuts away? I think so. I can't think of anything else it would be. Mm-hmm. But it's also just like, I, sure, yeah, I don't know. It, se- it seems almost like they cut it away just so it seems more of a big deal than it actually would be. Yeah. But I like that scene a lot. That's the scene that I think feels weirdly Monica. Mm-hmm. Or rather, Monica maybe lifted a lot of things from this weird scene. <laughs> uh, that's it. Yeah, Lark... Lark kind of wakes up and she like managed to survive and mm-hmm. uh no is gone and when uh lark wakes up she has a, a shitty crane in her hand we we oh yeah we we skipped over the paper crane stuff which is just to say that like lark makes one for no no and no no tries really hard to make one back but they're all dog shit yeah which is really sweet i like it and then after, after lark opens up her hand sees the crane we uh, smash cut to ten years later on Earth, and Lark has grown up, and Tycho's grown up, and Lark is doing like uh, bird conservation. Yeah, cool. Tycho's doing cool stuff with the Space Army, and they're talking about a star festival. And you wonder, hey, what's that about? And then in like the one moment that makes all of the weird stuff in Die Buster worth it, even if you're not fond of it. Uh, Lark climbs to the top of the hill and she looks out 
over Okinawa, and she blows out her lantern, and you get an echo of her monologue from, like, the first episode at the start. As, like, a familiar music track swells, and I know what, I recognize what's happening, so uh-huh. I start to cry. Same. And then all the lights in the area start to turn off, and, like, blows out her lantern, and she looks up, and it all pans up to the sky, and you see two red lights, like, burst onto the scene and start falling down as Lark's like, those two are coming back! And then you cut to the welcome back that you saw at the end of Gunbuster. Mm-hmm. Like a guitar solo comes in. Yeah, you get that same tune, I start sobbing. Uh-huh. Like, the music isn't playing because my TV is muted, but I can see it happening now as, like, (laughs) the lights across, like, the planet start to shine to make the sign, and, like, I'm starting to tear up now. And then you get the, you get your end credits as, like, you see from Earth's perspective, um, the shot of Noriko and Amano returning yeah they just they just flip you from the ending of the first show it's beautiful so good it's it's so it's so effective it is wild at both how effective the ending is and how it so without without like overstaying its welcome because that's the end like that's the last few seconds is that uh but like it manages to rush you through so much exposition with nothing it's just like Mm -hmm. you suddenly have all the context you might have been wanting or at least a lot of it. It's way it's way more subtle than you would expect from the show at that point. Yeah. Get the crest of the music, and then right at the peak, the screen goes black, and you just get the text of Buster Machine 1 and 2, and their pilots returned that night. Mm-hmm. The heart, yeah, so like the red light, like it start, a light starts to turn red, splits into two, and it hard cuts to that text, and like that is so effective. It's that song. It's that track. The song, it's it's like Star Wars. If it didn't have the good music, it wouldn't be as good. And mm-hmm. it, it's also like kind of a sweet thing because then you know that even though Nono is gone, like um, the princess is going to pass on her story to Noriko, who she spent her whole existence admiring and wanting to be like. And that's kind of nice. Like, yeah. Yeah. And and I th- I think it's like for for me, I'm I'm a dumb bitch who didn't realize we were talking about Noriko the whole show. Um, so like at that moment, it's just like, it kind of washes over you that this whole, this whole time you, you, it's, it's weird how the show, if you don't put it together immediately, kind of at least attempts to craft this mystery of just like, who is this person who's so important? And then suddenly you're like, oh, I also think that person's really important. Fuck. Like Mm -hmm. it's, I don't know. It, it completely floors me. It'd be like if they could somehow trick you into not knowing who Luke Skywalker was for a movie, and then you're like, oh shit, that's who they're talking about. Like, Yeah. I think that kind of works, though, because at this point in time, like in, two, in 2004, you could easily have, like, you could easily pick up Die Buster as like, oh shoot, Gainax is doing another mech thing. I love Fooly Cooly, and I love Evangelion, mm-hmm. and not have any idea what Gunbuster is until after the fact. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think it's I- I've I've read some reviews that are like, oh, yeah, if you don't watch the show, the ending makes no sense. But I think like I, I still think even though you're like because Lark is just like, I'm going to be able to tell the person she admires all about her. And she looks up and they're coming home and you're just like, oh, they're still out there. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's certainly built around you having that emotional catharsis uh, or like that, that that emotional moment from the first show. And I think something that like I, I, I think it's 
really good to draw into context. Uh, you know, we're watching these back to back. Uh, people who are watching for the first time the podcast, I think it's good to like put into perspective that like we're jumping from 1988 to 2004. Like, yeah, I, I, I think it, it's been a long time. Yeah, and people who are really emotionally invested in the ending of Gunbuster, Gunbuster as a whole, who might have grown up with it, I think that's like an even stronger hit just like placing it in that moment this is their toy story three yeah yeah and and i think just as i think die buster is just as uh repetitive of its previous work as toy story three is to the first two movies so it's a great comparison yeah i like to dunk on toy story three anyways die buster uh we i i know we've said a lot about it while doing the recap we've we've been talking for two hours now but i guess we can wrap it up with like things we didn't get to other you know critiques analysis things we liked chris i blake and i have really been hogging it uh so now now's a great time for you to 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 get out all the things you have to say okay um i have several notes that i took like because i didn't have any like during but i i wrote down some of the things i wanted to talk about while the recap was happening it was fun like i mean i like i we covered i knew it was like noriko but then it still was fun to be like okay it's like so when and how is she gonna come into this thing and, like, you know that it takes place after the original Gunbuster because of, like, the setting and stuff. Like, you could just you could just kind of mm-hmm. tell, but, like, you don't know, like, how far or whatever. And then, like, and then learning that it, it's walking you up right to that final moment of the first one is, like, was a really cool uh, experience. We covered that. Um, talked about how Tycho's episode was the, the fucking best. Um, I wish that she was still a character after it, though. They completely throw her away after her arc is done. Yeah. In my, in my opinion. I mean, yeah, I mean, they definitely do. I don't think you'd dispute that. Like, she doesn't, she's mm-hmm. barely there. Um, there there's yeah. one moment in the Titan episode that kind of utilizes her. And I think it, it's almost the show saying that, like, yeah, she's already had all the things she's going to get. Because when uh, Tycho is the one who says to Lark that, like, hey, the robots seem really on edge right now. And mm-hmm. uh, Lark is like, no, they're fine. I understand these robots better than anyone else. She's very full of herself because she's the top of the, she's aimed for the top. Um, she's done aiming. She's there. Um, and Taika's like, yeah, I guess you're the best then. I mean, I can't argue with that. And uh, Lark is like, well, you gave up certainly easy after everything that happened in the last episode. Um, and I think it's like interesting that like with, without really saying much that that moment is like uh, Taiko has, stopped trying to be the best and is suddenly more in tune with what she is doing and uh lark is so confident that she's the best that she's not paying as much attention because she doesn't think she needs to tiny Mm -hmm. character moment that i like i just forgot to i forgot to mention it earlier because we were talking about titan sure um uh the the casio casio character um the like the former topless dude I, it's a really small thing, but I really liked the scene where he's talking to, I believe it's the, the princess, about uh, asking if, like, do the buster machines feel happy? And, like, you know, do you ever think about that? Would you ever ask them? And then, like, the princess, I think, is like, did you ever ask that question or think about that when you were piloting a buster? And he's like, no, of course not. And I just, like, love that, like, I, I don't want to, like, use the overused thing, like, world building, but it does make you feel like these characters and the the place they're inhabiting is like a real thing because it's it feels very realistic to me that this dude would have just been like this is cool i'm piloting a big robot and then like in the time that he's had to sit and think and be near them since he lost the ability to do it that he would be like 
having all these like different thoughts and feelings mm-hmm. about it than he did to begin with. And, like, I just think that's really like it's really like well done. I I genuinely maintain that Cassio's arc and like what is you what he's used for in the story absolutely negates Nicola's purpose for like being like you could erase his entire character and i think you'd be fine yeah it's interesting because he's not like what what he adds in my opinion is just like he's not expired yet we see the stress of him getting there uh-huh. and and how he's lured into uh the twins manipulating him yeah barely they don't really succeed in anything by using him but uh he's he's playing into their machinations because he wants to not lose this power um so you're kind of seeing it as it's happening whereas you know, cameo or Cassio, depending on your translation, his point of view is looking back and thinking that like, like he's already lost it for some time. It's, it's, it's a very different look at it, but I do think that pushing Nicola out of the picture, you don't really lose it because basically, because I think the utilization of Cassio and his arc is just so effective that it makes Nicola seem redundant just because Nicola's isn't, uh, executed to full like extent mm-hmm. I, I do like though that like and and i won't disagree that i don't think they ever like truly stuck the landing on the nicola stuff but like i like that just in terms of being true to the characters that we did get like it would have been like disingenuous to have anyone else on that spot other than nicola be like oh like maybe she could do this because i just don't think that's in anybody else's character so we needed the person that was open to that to like to be that person and also i think that like he gave like kind of a vibe of almost like a peter pan lost boys dude when when uh nona first joins that group and like that couldn't Mm -hmm. have been um uh cassio either because he is like this like past his prime hanging around like kind of it's almost like a, a sad story of like you know what happens to these kids as they do grow up whereas like when she first shows up and it's like, this is exciting. She needs the character that is like, yeah, this is cool. I'm this guy. And I have all these, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like we would have been missing something mm-hmm. if nothing else in, in her introduction to the fraternity without that character. Yeah. I don't think that die buster needs less characters. I think it needs more time. Yeah. Um, Cause I didn't even, I honestly didn't even think about the fact that like, I didn't really register what they were doing with the whole like Nicola and the twins thing until I was reading the wiki during this podcast. I was like, Oh, that's like fascinating. I didn't get that at all from actually watching the thing. And maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention, but like, I didn't like fully grasp what was happening there. Um, mm-hmm. I really truly wish the die buster got to be nine to 12 episodes. <laughs> I think, yeah, I don't think, I think nine's probably enough from, from my opinion. Cause like, I feel like you could split five in two episodes. Easy. You could split four into two or three. Actually, no. Split, split four into two episodes, split five into two episodes, and then give us one more episode on par with three, where it's just, mm-hmm. hey, here's like an episode where it's mostly standalone. Here is an episode-long arc. We're going to do one or two things, introduce some stuff, and it'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I want the, I want the baseball episode from Brand New Animal. In Die Buster is what I actually want when I think about it. I don't know what you're referencing, so I'm just going to take your word that it's a great analogy. Uh, the Brand New Animal is the newest Trigger anime. Mm. It's not Ima Ishii, I don't think. I feel like I would have heard about it if it was, so that makes sense. Who else is even at Trigger? <laughs> there are a couple people. But yeah, it's the, it's the Netflix one. It's all out now. You can watch it. I don't think it 
goes on Netflix in the States, like, officially for another couple mm. months, because they're weird about it. Yeah, Netflix and anime is a weird um, relationship. It's cool that they have a relationship the, with Trigger, but it's still weird. The The core of it is, I want to say, like, episode four mm. is just a single episode. You can consume it, and you don't really need to know much else, and it's just, instead of being, like, a kind of crime thriller mystery show it's just hey this is a sports anime this is about baseball this is about animal people baseball nice and it you open it up you finish it it closes itself i want that but with buster machines given how many given how many at this point little toy bats i have with various toy gun busters that's fair yeah i i've got like five topics left to cover if that's okay um, okay, so first of all, I want to finally talk about the them being called topless. Okay, so first yeah. of all, it's fucking stupid because <laughs> it's just it's just used to like justify the nudity, uh, and and also I can prove that it's stupid with Exhibit A. Uh, I searched for an episode title to try to find a wiki summary, and I saw a YouTube video entitled "Only One Topless Warrior Can Ride the Dicks Robot." stupid it's bad (laughs) um uh also exhibit b take any sentence out of this podcast where y'all were just trying to innocently recap and it's like oh what worth what worth do i have to society if i'm not topless anymore it's bad it's stupid Um, the thing that i i i think evangelion is a masterwork that simultaneously saved anime and also ruined it forever because i think ano is really He's not, I mean, it's not perfect at all these things, but I do think it is really good about contextualizing how rough some of the fanservice-y stuff is. Like, I can feel that Anno is saying something, and I think it's effective, and I think End of Evangelion extends that further. And I think you get to Mm -hmm. FLCL and Diabuster, where it's like, we can also say smart things with nudity. We can also use innuendo to make a greater theme. And it's like, no, you can't. And then you get Darling in the Franks, which is a fucking slight against God. And I just, uh, I don't know. So, I'm angry. So, so there's all of that. And I actually do think that the, the, the name being topless does actually do something for the story, which uh, I'm just as surprised as anybody. Uh, it's, it, this is, <laughs> I, I, I feel like it's, I'm in a similar boat as I was at the, 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 the shirt ripping thing at the end of Gunbuster, where I was like, I think this is like really stupid and bad. And also, I think it's doing something that feels kind of like resonant. Um, yeah. It's a weird position to be in. But I think that calling them Tapa, so first of all, in reference to the, the show, the show's titles being like, you know, aim for the top, right? Then to, to name these characters who are kind of like, have like special powers and they're like you know they're they're um they have like these big lofty important goals like to call them topless is to like suggest like uh like that they're limitless and like they can um there is no ceiling for them right which i think is mm-hmm. uh important to stuff and well, also i i i, I, I was gonna say i think it's i think it's the opposite because i think what the show kind of pairs against uh the story of no no riri is that they're not aiming anymore they're already there they, they don't feel yeah. like they have to, to push themselves anymore. Yeah, and I'm going to get there because this is about my, like, initial reading of it and then how the mm-hmm. show kind of, like, eventually started taking it apart, but I was still interested in, like, the initial feelings I had about it because um, something that I really liked about the idea of the, the topless and how they work in this world, um, and the show ended up telling me that that's not how it saw it, but I did at first. Um, uh-huh. Like, like the idea of, like, the so the Hattori character is like, oh, like, I used to be a topless, and then I, like, you know, 
I woke up and smelled the coffee and I grew up whenever I was like, oh, so they're kind of doing a thing where it's like the people who are young, like have enough like open mindedness and, and aspiration and whatever else that they can like do the impossible, like literally speaking, because they like are, you know, they're young and open to it. Right. And then at a certain age, you kind of like can age out of that and lose your ability to, to, to find new ways to solve problems and to use these like, you know, the, the metaphorical like abilities of yours. Right. Um, and there's that whole great scene where Hattori is basically they're talking about all this and Hattori is like offering um, uh, the princess coffee and he's like oh do you want to have sugar I used to like it that way she's like I don't like it at all and it's kind of like a, li- a very literal like easy comparison of like youth to adulthood as like some like coffee um, and I was like oh this is really cool and fascinating and then like the more they revealed stuff I was like oh no it's actually like only a certain people are, are topless and everyone ages out of it regardless of whatever and I was like oh okay so it's not really what I like thought it was but it was like for like an episode or two i was fascinated by like that kind of like what it might be like saying in that sort of way mm-hmm. but like you said like they they don't actually end up being characters that are um you know necessarily uh aiming at anything grander but i do, do think that part of it is still in there in terms of i don't i don't think it's a coincidence at all that in a show called aim for the top there are characters called topless that have like lots of abilities that could do good and save people. Right. Like, I think that that's still a big part of it. Um, and that's also like, so we talked a little bit about like, no, no's like hard work and guts thing and how like, that's kind of like the lip service that the show gives. And like the words are there. Like you, you covered the scene where Nona's like, Oh, even if, uh, Noriko didn't have, Nona Riki, Nona Riri didn't have a, uh, a gun buster. She would still have it in her heart, whatever it's said. And it's in there, but I think they really shot themselves in the foot with that by having Nona's thing of being like, I'm no one special to be like, yeah, you are. You're, you're uh buster. Number seven. <laughs> you're the most you're the important buster, robot and ever you're... made. Yeah, yeah. It was like weird. I like, didn't like that. Like, I mean, like, I think all of us, like collectively as like a culture are kind of over the like bloodline uh special savior storyline like you know the the harry potter and whatever else and so like this being like it's not that except it is it's kind of like oh that's a bummer like yeah um, yeah it it mostly works for me but i do completely agree that it's like it's i the thing is i appreciate what it accomplishes with it even though i feel like they like i don't know how they made the show where she literally doesn't achieve what she like she doesn't do anything like that's i don't know and and i think and i think making her in herself strong enough to do it kind like it, it works for me i'm not disagreeing with you it just kind of mm-hmm. works it just works for me sure yeah i just feel like by the time that you that she becomes a robot i felt the show had completely lost what was like it's like saving grace core character tenant with that character and like her dream like you said it's kind of like you know it's it's um a surface level thing but it was enough for me that it was like this is a bubbly character who has like a lot of like uh ambition and she wants to be like her idol and she has this dream and like whatever else and like that was like enough to like pull me through emotionally and then by the time that like episode five rolls around that was all gone and now it was just yeah. a pretty action show to look at for me and yeah. that was like kind of a bummer. Um, try to they try to pull it off right at the end by having Lark lose her powers, but it still kind of falls short. Yeah, because it, yeah, cool. You lost your ability to pilot the robot, but you can still pilot. Yeah, 
crawl up the spine and here's the secret super cockpit that gives you super well, that's, that's, that's I think because it's the cockpit from the original show you're like the I think I think the intent is like now she's doing it because she's trying really hard and not because she's a special kid with powers like she she she, she lost her powers but she's still capable of with hard work and guts able to pilot the gunbuster like Noriko before her um and I think they're trying to do the same thing with with uh, Nono, where it's like, you don't need the big robot. You don't need to pilot a robot. You're fine as you are, but also you're a robot. So like, uh, I, I also think it's slightly different than like the, the special narrative, because at that point, um, the princess is only able to access that second cockpit because of the relationship she's developed with the gunbuster. Like it, it, I think they say it allowed her access to that cockpit. Yeah, it, right? it, like it, it chooses it. to do it. It pulls out yeah, the, the, so like, the, the horn. <laughs> So at that point, it's about, mm-hmm. like, the connection that's built between, like, two living beings. And so that feels like a, that's a little bit more acceptable in terms of, like, a workaround for the whole, like, special yeah. versus not special thing, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's it's mixed with the nostalgia. That might be a lot of why it works for me. But just to, just to briefly compare to FLCL, which we're not covering on the podcast, but um, I do think similar to that, Suramaki's style is just, like, doing so many things at once that it's a little hard to piece out. It's not as clear cut and, and not to say that Ano shit is ever clear cut, but I feel like it's, it's pretty easy for me to walk away from it, having a solid reading and knowing how I feel about it. Whereas like with Suramaki stuff, I'm like, that sure did a lot of things and I liked a lot of it, but I don't think like, I don't know how many times I'm going to have to watch FLCL to know how I feel about it. This yeah. isn't ha- this isn't that imperceptible, partially because it is leaning so much on an original show, mm-hmm. but I th- I think it drifts a little bit. Yeah. Okay. This is my my last section of thoughts. There's like a bunch of them in there, but it's my last like category. And okay. in it, I promise you right now to unleash my hottest diebuster take by the end of this. Yes. Right? I'm 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 planning the lead. Okay. So first, I just want to say that my favorite thing about this show was the uh the aesthetics like this the settings the way that they like um were like um invented and designed and the the color and the art like um everything about like like i said the aesthetics and the settings were like my favorite part um so the beginning did a lot for me when you're kind of like new to all of it and they're 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 showing you around a bunch of different places um i really like how this is kind of an unconventional approach to this i like how nono's like humble beginnings section of her like story is like after she's tried to go off the adventure so to set it apart from like a star wars where like luke's thing is like oh i'm stuck on the stupid moisture farm i can't wait to go be a jedi and like you're on the moisture farm until he's ready to go it's like we could have had a more boring version of this where nono is stuck in her country town like it's like we start her off in the country town but she's leaving and then she goes off to have the adventure but she's not there yet she's she hits a stopping point where she's stuck like she's tried to take the leap but she can't get very far yet i thought that was a really like like unique way to to set up like the kind of like hero's journey style um path for a character and, really and it's that. and it's yeah. like being a bartender and she's fucking bad at it yes and and mm-hmm. and this is where this is where my hottest diabuster take comes in I think I might have preferred the show if it was six episodes of her in that bar. <laughs> I mean that. I really do. It's so funny. The, it's, the I, bar I... is, <laughs> the design of it is so cool. And and I like the relationship she has with her manager and like the whole thing with her like splitting the dishes and whatever else. And like the, the, the visuals of like big robots coming in and sitting down on bar stools. And like. The bar has a second bar that is oversized for yeah, robots to sit yeah. at. Yeah. 
it's cool. awesome. Like th- that, that like that um, environment just like totally captured my imagination. And I wish I could have stayed there, honestly, like to just have like a, a kind of like uh, uh, this setting where like characters in this world are coming in and out and swapping their stories and solving their personal like problems, whatever else at the bar or whatever. Mm. I don't know. I could have really gone in for that. It, like, it, the settings, especially the, that bar in particular, really reminded me of uh, like Outlaw Star and Cowboy Bebop and like some of the other animes that are like known for their like kind of like yeah that that sort of uh world building environment stuff that is definitely the hottest take i i it's hotter than any <laughs> take i would have expected and i'm really yeah. happy about it i i i really love the bar stuff i think it's hilarious i love nono's characterization i love no no we're getting married this winter uh but i <laughs> i i am torn because that's i think i'm like yeah i love all this except for the sexual harassment and uh fan service like and it's weird because it's like it's both like it's like these people are awful because they're sexualizing her but also we're gonna do fan service while they do it that makes me feel bad yeah well i'm not saying yeah. you keep that stuff that happens no, i know i know just like I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree with you but it's not like i'm gonna go and rewatch that stuff all the time sure so. sure sure yeah i i also like i mean on the same note I could have done with a lot more of Nono working in that weird mech fast food setup. I could have done with like a, a whole episode of that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I love she, that. She should have a new odd job every episode. <laughs> yeah, it'd be awesome. Chris, you bring up a great point of like, one of my biggest issues with Die Buster is that it moves so fast. It and does. like, I get, I get that that's like the thing with this director. Like, I've seen Fully Cooly mm-hmm. enough times to know that, like, yeah, that's his deal. But. I, if it would just slow down a little bit, like I, I, I like the first like three or so episodes of Gunbuster where they're just pissing around in the RX machines and everything's shitty and they're all high schoolers being bad at things. Yeah, but I like it. I like it so much because it sets up the moment later where they get where Noriko gets out of it and gets into something that's usable and effective. Mm-hmm. And I feel like just just a little more no-no trying and failing, but like doing her best in just the worst machine for this like situation. Just like kind of doing it. Okay. As like a support team member, like setting minds or like being a robot fast food worker. Specifically that actually, that's, that's exactly what I think it should be. Um, I, yeah, the, the thing, that's the thing. I think that's the, uh, all of the strengths of Die Buster are also kind of a weakness because it's just such a, a lateral move. It tries to be completely different. It tries to do more and strike bigger. And I like all those ideas, but it is the same length of time. And mm-hmm. and I think like I think if it was trying to expand on those things, have more of those little moments, I think either it needs more episodes or it would end up sacrificing stuff like episode three. Like yeah. like that like like it moves at this quick clip because it's just like, yeah, we got three hours. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I guess before before we uh, jump out, I do want to like make my like definitive statement on Gunbuster and Diebuster because uh, the listeners uh, know that my reviews have not been like the 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 most favorable, <laughs> including things like it was homework and I was bored and I checked out, uh-huh. um, but. <laughs> But at, the, but at the same, I love your honesty, though. Though, like that's yeah, that's great. So but at the same time, though, like there's a lot that I do like inside of it, and so like I feel like my ultimate thing is like while I may not have like super enjoyed myself like watching both series, it's a thing where I'm really glad that I have watched them. Like, mm-hmm. 
if for no other reason than to just have it as a, as a reference point um and like and for the reason that like finishing the show and then talking about it and then like reading on the wiki and be like oh okay that's stuff that i didn't put together that's fascinating or whatever else and like like yeah it, it's the kind of thing where, like you know it was it was not the most painless viewing experience i've ever had but but i'm happy i i i watched them for sure i'm so glad i'm so glad you enjoyed them yeah there or well, like parts enjoyed of them the yeah there's definitely yeah. like like the, the positives of these, I'm gonna like take with me for a long time. Like, I will happily forget all the stuff that turned my brain into applesauce. But like the the stuff that was good is like I'm gonna remember that forever. Like Noriko is such a weird protagonist because like I simultaneously stopped being invested in her throughout the show, and also I'm seeing a picture from the wiki here, and I'm just like, God, Noriko's so cool. I love her. Like, yeah, it's like it's like a weird. Thing. I, I think for you, I think for you, it's the headband. I think the headband does the headband all the work. does help a lot. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm gonna be super real. I don't enjoy playing the Super Robot Wars games. Like, I think overall, as, like, turn-based strategy, they're kind of boring. I will play every single one that has Gunbuster characters in it, doubly so if it has, like, an official English translation, because there is nothing more fun than putting Noriko into a setting with, like, Shinji and just seeing how that relationship plays out. Yeah. Those ga- I haven't played those games, but reading about them while researching shit for this podcast, they seem like I would love them a lot. That game sounds wild. It. So the best thing about the Super Robot Wars games is Ben Presto. Ben Presto loves the mecha genre, and it's the reason they make that franchise happen with all of the weird like rights gathering shenanigans involved. They have a couple of series where they have a crusade of like we are going to do these characters right, and the Evangelion kids are like number one on the list of, okay, do we have the rights for this? Yes. Who else we got? Who is, who, who else is going to be on this ship of babysitters and counselors and like supportive parents for Shinji and Asuka? And, <laughs> and who's going to be the one to shout at Shinji until he just kills uh, Gendo? They're basically interstitial is the thing. Yes. Explicitly. Yeah. I love it. Um, I, want to track them down and play some of them sometime because i didn't i didn't i knew that there was games that included like the ava units and shinji and stuff but i guess i I never knew exactly how they were utilized until i read about it like in the past month or so um Mm -hmm. so that's cool yeah i'm really glad that chris you watched them and got a lot of things out of them i think the emotional catharsis of the ending of die buster is like it's it's worth six hours i'll i'll say that um yeah e- even for all of my my uh my gripes with die buster i really enjoyed um my rewatch of it um the high points being episode three and the the ending um it looks great i think suramaki is a great visual director yeah the visuals ruled mm-hmm. if i didn't like stress that enough i yeah um and and i think the reason that i like not not even just like hey this is a part of Gynex's history and ano's history um i i, I think it's the relationship between Gunbuster and Diebuster is uh, endlessly fascinating going into the rebuild movies. Uh, yeah. Because, um, and I'll talk a little bit about, like, the years bridging them, but uh, Anno isn't the only, like, Anno isn't the sole director on these movies. He's like, hey, we're going to go back to Evangelion. We're going to tell it the way I wanted it to be told in the first place, which I don't know if that's still true, but it's definitely his goal with one. And... Suramaki is a big, big creative part of it. And I think having this context of seeing him pick up a series that 
is so pivotal in Anno's career and make it undoubtedly his own is um, extremely important in seeing him have a big creative say in these higher budget, higher scale reimagining of the Evangelion franchise, which is on its own an incredibly important franchise. Like, how do you how do you go home again to a thing like Evangelion? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, the answer to that question is the film uh, Rebuild of Evangelion 1.0, um, which we will be talking about uh, next with uh, past guest Jay. Um, that episode is scheduled to come out on my birthday. And I'm excited to talk about it. The, this, are these the rebuilds? I don't know shit. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So yeah, the re, the re, I'll, I'll probably Jay and I will probably explain it in more detail next time. But uh, but be- before I I give a very brief history lesson, nowhere near what I did last time. <laughs> uh, are there, are there what what are the closing like Chris? I'm assuming those were your closing thoughts on yeah on Die Buster. I I feel like I've said everything I've had to say on it. Uh, Blake, do you have anything else you'd like to add? I I appreciate Die Buster a lot. I think I appreciate it more as like a historical point and like seeing the shift in like various like Gainax as a studio and like uh, the directors and like how all of that hashes out more than I appreciate Die Buster on its own. Yeah. Ending's so good. I will say this. I really miss the science episodes, like the science lesson uh, minisodes. Oh, sure. Yeah, that would. God, no, no, doing those mini episodes would be heaven for me it'd be it'd be so good it would have been such a great way to like get some context into this setting mm-hmm. and like learn a little more about it and also maybe get a couple more like character interactions yeah just really lessons. we didn't really talk about the science lessons on the gunbuster episode but there was like little mini sodes of like the characters talking about the science of what was going on in the show and it was just, like chibi and cute um the the version i have of gunbuster that i watched they played in between episodes so it's just like yeah this is a really nice cute thing to to de-stress before i dive back in oh wait there's one more thing about die buster that i have to mention okay to such a tiny detail i love the puppy space suits that the fraternity uses. yeah oh yeah yeah that didn't even come up but they, yeah it's like it reminded me of those like weird dog speakers that i saw as a kid like i don't know if y'all Mm-hmm. I know exactly what you're talking those. about. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's like the exact same like weird head shape and giant ears on them. Like it. No matter. No matter how I feel about Die Buster. No matter the issues I have with like the way it approaches certain aspects of its story. No matter any of that, it's such a blast to watch. Like it's such a visual treat, mm-hmm. and like the soundtrack is so good, and I love the characters to death. Mm-hmm. I want to be Lark, but I also want to be Lark, and I for years I have not known how to reconcile those two wolves inside me uh-huh that that was me when i realized i was trans <laughs> <laughs> it's like, maybe, maybe, maybe that was the sign <laughs> of like hey wait wait a minute <laughs> yeah yeah i completely agree the stuff that like isn't as well explained or or executed i think is fine because i'm just like i don't want to stop looking at it so like i i i, I am always satisfied to be watching die buster even if it doesn't hit as consistently high uh, and has a, a, you know i think lower points than gunbuster does i really i really respect it i think more than anything it's just like yeah it's this it's this turning point and it's weird like i understand why because it's a sequel to an 80s show 
that is imperceptible if you haven't seen it. Um, but mm-hmm. it's like, I wish it was talked about the way Gurren Lagann is. Um, yeah. And like, Cause it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's such a, it is completely understandable why it is glossed over so hard and why people in their brains, like do the Gynax jump of like, okay, it went Evangelion to fully coolly to Gurren Lagann. Yeah. Like I totally understand, but Oh boy, there's so much. There's so much to mine out of Die Buster. There's yeah. so much to think about out of Die Buster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like th- th- those are the things. So many questions. <laughs> those are the things I latch onto with media. It's like, what's making me like spin in my fucking head after I watch it? What's making me scream at my TV because like I can't believe they pulled this emotional reaction off? Um, and mm-hmm. Die Buster really hits those highs for all of its shortcomings. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, it's great. And it's a, I think an important part of that history and that like point in time yeah it, i i think i'll i'll jump from there to talking about the years after it but you, i i forget uh, one one second before you do go ahead i forget in the gunbuster gunbuster episode i feel like you mentioned that while this was happening anna was doing re cutie honey he, yeah in in 2004 same year that this comes out he does the live action cutie honey rekindles his love for the for the toku genre um, and then he oversees the, the re cutie honey OVA, which is like three episodes from different directors. Have, have either of you seen that? I, I, I wanted to watch it before we did this episode. I haven't, I didn't get around to it. It is such a blast and it's so quick that I absolutely recommend watching it between now and rebuild one. I, pl- I plan to, it's kind of like how I plan to watch a bunch of, uh, uh godzilla movies before we get to shin godzilla just so i have more context but yeah no it's it's on my to-do list i will complete my 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 list of ano things um the thing is i just rewatched a ritual again because it's really good that's fair and if it ever you know if it ever sneaks into like the criterion collection we'll come back we'll do an episode but <laughs> and it, it fully deserves to be in the collection mm-hmm. but yeah so so yeah that's what that's what ano was doing in 2004 that's why he didn't direct this apparently he did supervise some things upon it with with suramaki but uh that so that's 2004 um a weird little note that i want to bring up because i love it 2005 is when a book comes out called insufficient direction blake do you know about insufficient direction uh i know a little bit i feel like i do not know as much as you will know given that <laughs> it sounds like you've researched this uh it's well all right so ano gets married in 2002 to someone uh let me Moyoko Ano. I I don't know. I don't know what uh, syllables to uh, specify there. But um, fun funny note that was already her family name. They had the same last name when they met. (laughs) Um, And she is a manga artist, and uh, she's great. Uh, Ano worked on uh, some adaptations of her her manga, notably the one I have um, pulled up is uh, Sugar Sugar Rune, which seems to be like a magical girl where they're witches. Um, I kind of want to watch it. It's it's cool to see them work together that way. Uh, but in 2005 is a book called Insufficient Direction, a manga about them, like a very fictionalized parody of them, where she's like, I like basically she's like, I married this man. He's the biggest nerd alive and everyone respects him. And I don't. And it's just like a weird it's just like a weird comedy about that. And I love it very much. Um, there was, it was adapted into an anime like a couple years ago. I want to say 2014, 2015. Like 
short episodes, like little vignettes. So I think you like if you track it down, I think you can watch it in like 30 minutes. But uh, it's really cool. Not going to cover a manga on the show or anything, but I just I just really like Insufficient Direction. I think it's really funny. I think uh, Miyoko Ano is uh, is very it's 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 so cool to have like a big part of this man's career be that he made a depressing show and then had a breakdown. And then a couple years later, here's a comedy series where he's a a nerdy husband. (laughs) (laughs) I you said that was 2005, right? Yeah, that's when the book came out. That's that's so funny because I just looked it up to double check and um, Blue Blazes, which is a coming of age manga by one of Ano's classmates who was around and like saw the formation of Gainax, mm. came out in two thousand seven. Yeah, we we were talking about that uh, that J drama about the animation kids where Ano's a character. Yeah, that's that's the adaptation of um, Blue Blazes nice. the manga. Yeah, um, because I I think a lot about the scene where like. I, I don't know the 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 one char- which director the one character is where he's like makes a very simple like uh flip book with st- post it notes and everyone's like mm-hmm. check out this guy and it's like the most detailed intricate action scene in a post it notes and it turns and it turns around and it's like that was Hideaki Anno and it's so yeah. funny Blue Blazes is Blue Blazes is the story of um let me get this name right uh Kazuhiko Shimamoto as he is in the same class as Anno and is trying his damnedest to become, like, a professional, like, mangaka, even though he's kind of shitty and, like, doesn't want to put in the effort. And then every every once in a while, he'll look over and he'll see Ano and the Gainax crew doing something amazing, and he'll just sort of go, oh my god, I want to kill Ano so much. <laughs> I need to read this. To this is, like, for sure going on my reading list. <laughs> the the J-drama is fantastic. <laughs> I, I don't remember the name of the actor who plays Ano, but he manages to capture that fine balance of like Ano's so weird. Why is he such a weird nerd? And <laughs> uh, like neat introspection and like analysis happening here. Yeah, as he's pouring over an episode of Gundam or something in like a store. Uh huh. But yeah, insufficient direction <laughs> is very funny and cute. It is. Uh, a, a nice thing to see considering how much darkness we've dealt with. Um, and it's also great. It's like, Oh cool. Yeah. He has a great happy marriage and they, yeah. and, and, and like they're making comedy about themselves. Um, and I love it. And it's great. Yeah. Like, like uh, his birthday just passed, but like uh, there were some tweets about him doing the Ultraman pose for his 60th birthday. And like, that's cool. All that being said, that was 2005, the book. Uh, 2006 is when Ano formally leaves Gynex and starts Studio Kara, uh, K-H-A-R-A. Um, and this is where he is starting the idea of the rebuild of Evangelion films. Um, it is, I think, initially partnered with Gynex. I don't know at what point Ano like, sues for the rights and does it all by himself. I don't remember. Um, but it's somewhere in there. But I know initially it starts partnered with Gynex. I know that Gynex loses um, a lot of funding connections because a lot of people were in it for for Ano's name. And if he's leaving, that kind of looks bad for Gynex. Uh, but wouldn't mm-hmm. you know it, they bounce back with a little show called Tinga Top and Gurren Lagann. And that's directed by uh, Hiroyuki Amaishi. And uh, I, I don't remember if this came up last time, but people will often talk about Gynex as a place where great people come to learn and then fuck off and do their own shit better elsewhere. 
Yep. Amaishi included, uh, because he goes on to make Studio Trigger with some other people, the people who made Panty and Stocking with Garter Belt, which is a show I don't like very much. But anyway, Studio Trigger, I believe that my notes say that breaks off in 2011. Um, they make mm-hmm. the they make the greatest anime ever made, Inferno Cop. Um, and then they make some other things. That, uh, Little Witch Academia is Trigger. I'm not joking. Trick- Inferno- no, no, I absolutely agree with you. It's just you. I was so ready for you to say like the best anime ever made, Little Witch Academia, and then you hit me with the Inferno Cop's word. <laughs> I'm right. Uh, Little Witch Academia. I I really like the OVA. The show is okay. Yeah. But yeah, Little Witch Academia. They Trigger really makes their name with Kill a Kill, um, which I have mixed feelings on. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, last year they put out Promare, which I fucking love. Everyone loves. Great movie. Guy next. I don't know if they ever really recover after that. After after Trigger breaks off, I think they've really like people st- kind of stop going to to Guy next. It stops incubating talent. I know they do the Madaka Box uh, adaptation, which I've I've really just heard nothing about. I know people who love Madaka Box and just talk about the manga. So, Gainax, Gainax, Gainax post trigger exists. They they still exist. They're in, they they've fractured but off, yeah, they, but mostly as a series of shell companies to keep money flowing and to keep some rights. Yeah, because of financial shenanigans they owe a lot of money to ano and studio kara um that's kind of why they splinter off into the shell companies their staff has rearranged as recently as like february of this year and technically on on the record they still keep saying that euro and blue and gunbuster 3 will happen um i don't think they ever will but uh they retain the rights and they've never unannounced them but that is that is the guy next death throws in that in that time span, we'll talk about the the rebuild films. Uh, first of which being 1.0, which is uh, the next episode of this podcast. I'm very excited to rewatch it and talk about it with past guest Jay and me and Chris. <laughs> yeah, we have guests lined up for the for the rebuild movies. Um, I'm excited to 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 get into those. I think it'll be a nice it'll be a nice return. I like this break. Uh, and I think it'll like, especially with like 1.0 where it's like, okay, yeah, we've talked about this before. Let's dig in. Let's dig into how it's reimagining certain things. Yeah. I was going to say, I can't wait for you guys to finish the rebuilds and then go into. I can't all wait for Anno the- to finish the rebuilds. <laughs> July is what has been said. Bullshit. Uh, yeah. I mean, Bullshit. Th- theaters are closed. So who knows when it'll actually come out. I do believe that it's done. It'll get. That's the. I, that's. It'll, it's a bold take. I do believe that it's been finished. It'll get released on my PlayStation right next to Vin Diesel's Bloodshot. <laughs> yeah. I, I cannot wait for post-rebuild Nervous Rex when you guys have a four to five episode series on Evangelion in 64. Yes. Which we Also, if you, if you want, I will mail you the Saturn production of... Um, <laughs> impression or whatever that one's called. Is that... Are you talking about Girlfriend of Steel? No. Oh shit! I want to play that. <laughs> oh Jesus! Yeah, there's a lot of spinoffs and tie-ins. We did play the '64 game for a little bit on at Extra Life last year. It's very hard. It's harder than actually being in the show. Ugh. Yeah, I'm excited for 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 rebuild Nervous Rex. I'm excited to talk about Shin Godzilla, especially. That's kind of our our plan after 3.0. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. I mean, who knows when when three plus one will come out? But uh, 
I think it will. Uh, but Blake, uh, did you did you like you you won't be returning on the next episode? But I feel like you had some thoughts about the connective threads between uh, Die, Die Buster and, and 1.0 in the rebuilds. Um, and without getting really into like any spoiler things that we'll get into on those later episodes, is there anything you kind of want to like leave us with going forward? I I would say I would say the reason the reason why I'm so glad you guys talked about Die Buster is because it is so important to like get an introduction to like Surumaki and how he plays with Ano stuff because it doesn't come I don't think it comes too hard into effect in 1.0 but once you start getting into 2.0 you really start to get a feel for like okay Ano is involved in this clearly but he's writing Surumaki, he has directing credits but I, he's not yeah. he's not the only person at the wheel but particularly with some of the action scenes as I remember them um Surumaki really starts to like feel himself mm-hmm. and i i i i think his first half of end of evangelion is some of the best shit i've ever seen so i want him to do that mm-hmm. i'm i'm really excited to see what is done in 4.0 mm-hmm. with with marie's weird construction ava did you yeah i was gonna say did you did you did you watch the like 10 minute avant thing that was released I did not. It exists. I, I I think there's a version somewhere with like visible English subs. I rewatched it today just on a whim with no subs. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck's happening, but God, I love looking at it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to talk about those exact feelings, not on the next episode, but uh, going forward. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think, I think getting a look into how Suramaki plays with things Ano has made is, uh, is a really important thing. Like, even if like, I, I think like, if you like a director, you should watch their older stuff, even if it's not good, because chances are you're going to get a peek into their brain. Yeah. And, uh, I think, I think, I think that's the ending note of, uh, mm-hmm. of this episode. Thank you, Blake, so much for coming on and talking for us for nearly the length of Die Buster. <laughs> um, <laughs> almost. Yeah. Yeah. We almost knocked out a heat. I, 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 I hope I was the Val Kilmer character in that film. Um, <laughs> But uh, Blake, where where could people is? Do you have anything to like share or plug uh, that you might want to point people towards? Other things. Um. Well, if you want to follow me on Twitter on the off chance you want to hear me rant about how capitalism sucks once in a blue moon. Um, you can find me at uh, Blake Locked. Past that, I don't really have anything to shill. Donate to mutual aid funds if you need something to read. Um. Our good friend Marn has a web serial called Prairie Song. Read that. Actually, here. This is an Evangelion podcast, so I'll make this shill not for me, but for you, the listeners. <laughs> if you're stuck in quarantine and you're really bored and you think, I really want to, like, re-listen to some old Nervous Rex episodes, and also I want, like, a cool Ava on my, on my shelf, uh, Bandai is releasing um, real-grade model kits of Ava units. Uh, zero, one, and two, and they're really good kits, and they're not too bad for beginners. So if you want that merch and you want a cool <laughs> hobby to spend too much money on, you can just you can just do that. Well, that's a good plug, one that I am considering, and I uh, should. They're real good. I I've made a I made an Ava Oya one once. It was very complicated, which I feel like I feel like they're intentionally designed to be hard to build. And I respect that. Um, but I also want to build them. So, yeah, the band I want are nice. And if you 
you pay a little more, you can get the spe- you can get deluxe editions of the kits, which have extra stuff. So I think uh, Unit 1 comes with the hangar, and I think uh, Unit 0 um, comes with the Positron rifle, which is relevant to the Rebuild 1, if I remember correctly. Uh, if it's the rifle I'm thinking of. God, I can't wait to talk about Ramiel again. God fucking bless! You love that triangle. That's the, yeah! That's, that's, that's <laughs> the real birthday present for me, is talking about Ramiel again. <laughs> Um, well, thank you for that merchandise spotlight as well as that plug. Yeah. Uh, Chris, where can people find you on the internet? They can find me at Topher Disgrace. And, and for my, uh, my plug here, I'm going to say that the, uh, the podcast and video network with which I got my start on the internet is, uh, is ending, uh, at the end of this month. Alien Happy Hour is closing its, its metaphorical doors. Uh, it's been five years. We've made a lot of dope shit together. We're really proud of, but, uh, We've kind of decided to let it run its course, but uh, we're we're not done until the end of June. So if people want to join for the last month of that, I'd be real stoked on that. Um, you know, we have like uh, movie club and uh, musicology uh, that Joe was just on an episode of recently. Was. And obviously, you must not hate listening to me talk about media if you're on this one. Uh, so <laughs> you might enjoy movie club as well. We just did uh, Predator uh, last night. And uh, Alien Happy Hour Wrestling Federation, our YouTube series, uh, using the WB2K games to have big uh, crossover fights with pop culture characters. We just had Weird Al versus Joker Shaggy on the last show. And now it's my job to figure out how to, like, have a last show for that out of <laughs> with short notice. But we'll, <laughs> we'll come up with something. Uh, so that'll be fun. That'll be uh, Saturday night, the 20th. Or is that right? Is the 20th a Saturday? I'm pretty certain it is. Yes. Uh, that'll be live on YouTube.com slash Alien Happy Hour. Um, yeah, so all that. And most importantly, like uh, like Blake was getting at, check out your local bail funds and mutual aid funds and really any sort of way that you can throw your money, time, and support towards the Black Lives Matter movement would be uh, dope. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was, I was going to say, I didn't want to cut you off, but uh, yeah, if you like Chris's takes on Evangelion, you definitely want to know what they think about Pan. You were on the Pan episode, weren't you? Like Pan is in like like the Peter Pan prequel. Yeah, I absolutely. The, weird, the was. one with the the, the, the the one with the uh... with the smells like Teen Spirit. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a good call. Hell yeah! I'm not really using my Twitter, but I'm on social media at Ghost of Joe, Ghost of J O, and I've also basically been taking a lot of breaks from podcasting, so I don't really have anything to plug. Got it. Memorize is continuing. Final Fantasy X is still a balm on my soul, and I love talking about it. But yeah, I'll just continue to echo uh, support bail funds whenever you can. Shout out to everyone who's out there doing protests and doing things that I can't do every day, but wish I could. Mm-hmm. Especially friend of the show, Jory, who's out like every yes. fucking day. Yeah, yeah. Who, pr- yeah. Uh, past, past and I think future guest, <laughs> Jory. But yeah, I think, uh, I think that's it for Die Buster. Thank you again, Blake. Thank you everyone for listening. And uh, welcome back! Yeah! (laughs) Welcome back! Welcome back.
As you get closer, you notice that there's like almost like a heat wave effect, that sort of like wobbly mm. stuff in your yeah, vision. I could, just, I could just touch it. I mean, you don't want me to touch it? I could touch it. You could just touch it. <laughs> Let's touch it together. Oh, you want to do rock, paper, scissors? Let's do rock, paper, scissors. Okay. Ready? One, two, and then I touch it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a clip from Very Random Encounters, an RPG actual play podcast where we randomly determine as many details as possible. Every season is a completely new story, so we recommend starting off with the first episode of whatever season we're currently running. Once you realize it's your new favorite show, you can dig into the backlog and enjoy stories of strong alien women, communist superheroes, transgender skeletons, and other things that will scare your conservative uncle. That's Very Random Encounters. Find it at www.vre.show or in the usual places. Very Random Encounters.